All the way back in the beginning of recorded history, there's been one thing that humans have excelled at, both in effectiveness and creativity, and that's been finding the cruelest and most innovative ways to hurt or kill one another. And on our new show, we plan on covering all of it. Hi, I'm Kevin. And I'm Dan. And we host a podcast called Torture. It's a show where we examine the most horrible things people have done to one another over the centuries and tell you about all the methods and devices that our ancestors were able to come up with, including the when, the where, and the people they were used on. Yeah, we'll go way back. We're talking biblical times, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, ancient China, to cover things like crucifixion, Ling Chi, and the brazen bull. Up to medieval Europe for everything like the choke pair, the guillotine, and the rack. And the more modern days like solitary confinement, waterboarding, and electrocution. But that's only a small part of the history of human cruelty, because to really cover the issue, we also have to talk about the people that implemented them and the events in which they were used. Historical figures like Vladi Impaler, Nero, and Pol Pot. Groups, institutions, and cults like the Viet Cong, Um Shinrikyo, and the CIA. Notable and historical events like the Japanese rape of Nanking, any one of the many inquisitions, and the story of Blanche Monnier. And it wouldn't be a podcast about human cruelty if we didn't cover some of the most sadistic people to ever live. Processed serial killers like H.H. Holmes, Fred and Rosemary West, Robert Bordella, and of course, BTK. But the most important and controversial topic we will cover in depth and to great lengths, the vital discussion and observation of the complete and utter difference between Irish and American foods. We talk about it a lot. A lot. Like so, so fucking much. Every episode, somehow we just end up talking about, well, this is American food. Well, this is Irish food. I don't. So much you think it's too much, but then you realize it's not quite enough. Yeah, like it's a it's a little weird. Like at this at this point, we could probably just rename the podcast "The Difference Between Irish and American Food" and a little bit of torture. Very <laughs> good. Do it as like an off brunch. Yes. Thank <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. Anyways, uh, we'll have new episodes every two weeks on Sundays. So go find us on Twitter and Instagram at TorturePod. Email us at TorturePod at gmail.com. And like, follow, and subscribe. And most importantly, listen to Torture, a history of human cruelty starting June 26th, wherever you get your podcast. <laughs>
six aren't here right now. May I help you? Who the hell are you? Oh, hi. Um, I'm Abigail. I'm the new receptionist here. New receptionist. We didn't talk about hiring a fucking receptionist. Oh, um. Private dicks, may I help you? Okay, I was talking to you, but whatever. That's fine. No, Juan, no. I can't talk to you right now. No, we'll have to talk about this when I get out of here. All right, I'll call you then. Yeah, don't call me here no more. Yeah, bye. No, please, please take another personal call. That'll make me so oh, happy. I, I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, I, I don't I care. Won't let where are the dicks? Um, I, I really don't have an idea where they're at right now. Um, can I get you a, a cup of tea while you wait? A cup of tea. I don't want a goddamn cup of tea. Private dicks, may I help you? Are you fucking serious? No, no. No, not right now. I told you before, no. Jesus Christ. Yes, when I'm done. Yes, goodbye. Sorry about that. You're sorry about that. I'm sorry, is this not the private dicks office? Shouldn't there be private dicks in this office? Uh, I think they might be out working on a case. Is that case Stevie Cooper? Um, I'm not sure which case it was that they were going to be out taking a look at today. Oh, here's a nice cup of tea for you. Yeah, well, okay. Well, it's not like you're good for anything else. So thanks for the tea. Can you just call me when they're in, please? We have a nice uh, waiting area out there. I'm sure they, they won't be much longer. You're sure they won't be much longer. Oh, goddamn. Oh, Celeste's here. Fuck. Uh, hey, how's it going, Celeste? Uh, good, to, good to see you, buddy. Um, yeah, real good. Real good to see you. You know what right. else would be good to see? Uh, your work on D.B. Cooper, because it's been, you know, eight weeks. Abigail, I told you if Celeste comes just to get her out of this fucking way. Okay, yeah. D.B. Cooper, totally on, on top of it. The boys are right behind me, so uh, come on into the office. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll go over it with you. Yeah. Okay, cool. Abigail, honey for the tea. Now. I, I got some honey. I, I'll go get it. Celeste, you look a little, are you okay? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, totally. Good. Well, Whew, it's hot in here. You see, look, look at this giant case file I have here. It's uh, we'll turn down the heat a little bit for you and we'll, uh, we'll go over this as soon as the boys get here, right behind me. I get it. You have a big case file. <laughs> Trust me, it's not that big. <laughs> I know. Oh, god damn. Yeah, okay. Just like Celeste, gonna... are you okay? Like, wow. Yeah, you know, it's been a uh a day. I'll go have a sit. You know what? That's a little too far. I'm just gonna right here is good. Yeah, this is good. Okay. All right, okay. She's sleeping right there. Oh, hey guys. An elite team of private detectives. What if balloons are aliens? Like maybe that's the key component we're missing. Cover-ups. John's guilty. Mysteries that need to be solved. Maybe Mormons need mountains. Richard, shut up. Celeste, before she, whatever the fuck that was, passed out, I guess. She'll wake up, I'm sure. She's fine, right? You guys think so? She's okay there? I, I don't have a mirror to put under her nose. Otherwise, I would. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not touching her. Yeah, no, me neither. That... <laughs> That feels like a, the wrong move. Yeah, no, no thanks. Not look at me. Not in this Me Too atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. no. 
not touching the passed out girl in our office. We'll yeah, just the, the, she wakes up. The beard's grown back just enough to, yeah. to, to help you catch a case. Yeah, exactly. But we can definitely, I've already gone over this DB Cooper thing a couple times. So uh, we got this guys. It, it is a big one. It's a hefty one. I had a lot of fun actually reading about this. Cause I, I'm guessing if I ask you guys, do you guys know anything about DB Cooper? I'm guessing RJ's answer is going to be yes from pop culture and Rick's going to go, I will figure it out while you're blapping on. I, I actually know DB Cooper. Yeah. Well, there you, you go. You, That's cool. You yeah. nailed my response. <laughs> yeah. I figured you might have that. So let's go through it. If, if I have anything incorrect, I'm just a man. Okay. Uh, this is a very studied one and people get very passionate about it. Me, I went through this and I did this in two and a half weeks. And I just kind of finished this today. So to get this right, you'd have to read. There's like 10 different books about like a bunch of different uh, suspects. Like you'd have to do major research to get this episode 100% correct. So Rick, since you know a little bit about him, correct me if I'm wrong. Otherwise, this is what I scoured through the internet. All right. All right. This case begins at a flight counter at Portland International Airport on November 24th, 1971. A man who identifies himself as Dan Cooper walks up to the counter and buys a $20 one-way ticket north to Seattle aboard Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 305, paying with cash. This is a 30-minute flight from Portland, okay? Cooper was said to be in his mid-40s and stood approximately six feet tall. He had no accent and wore a dark suit and tie. He sported horn rim glasses and carried a briefcase or an attache, as they like to call it in all the fucking uh, articles I read. I mean, that's the, the cooler name by far. For sure. And it sounds yeah. not more 1970s than it does yeah. briefcase. Just sounds more thief. Yeah, exactly. It definitely mm. does. Uh, but he was very nondescript, very like uh, we've all seen the famous police composite sketch i'm sure you've even seen that before rj so he's very just plain jane white guy six feet tall cooper boards the aircraft and takes seat 18c and some people on the internet will fight you and say it's 18e the seat i don't really give a fuck he was sitting somewhere on the plane relax you fox uh it's true what a weird hill to die on no who cares people get mad exactly people get mad about the anything on the internet it's crazy and when he sits down, he orders a bourbon and soda just before departure. He's also smoking like a champ. He could smoke in planes back then, which is fun. <laughs> the plane had 36 passengers, pilot, Captain William Scott, who was 51. First officer, Bob Radizak, flight engineer, H.E. Anderson, Allison Hancock, the senior flight attendant, and two flight two just lowly flight attendants. I don't know whether it's a senior flight attendant, but Tina Mucklow and Florence Schaffner. It departed on time from Portland at approximately 2.30. Soon after takeoff, Cooper hands a note to the flight attendant, Florence Schaffner. Being a flight attendant, Schaffner had been hit on and given notes by many nondescript 40-year-olds in suits. Um, so she just stuffs the note in her pocket. When she passed Cooper back on the way back, he said, you should probably read that note. Cooper also told her before she opens the note that he had a bomb in his suitcase. He opens up the suitcase to reveal numerous wires, eight red cylindrical sticks stacked four by four on top of four and a battery. Schaffner reads the note. And according to Schaffner in perfect block letters written with a felt tip marker, 
It informed the reader that uh, there was a bomb and he wanted her to sit beside him on the plane. The note was pre-written in his pocket. He pulled it out of his pocket. He didn't write it while he's on the plane. Shafter immediately showed the note to the other flight attendant, Tina Mucklow. Uh, they both rushed the cockpit and informed the pilot that they're being hijacked and this wasn't a joke. Before anything else, though, Cooper asks for the note back. This is why we don't have any, the exact wording on the note. What we do know for sure was written on the note, that all the people that saw the note, it says, no funny business, which I fucking love. It's like cartoon. It's great. Incredible. Yeah, no funny business, you hear? Once beside Cooper and the note returned, he told Schaffner to write down what he told her. It was a list of demands, and she was to give that to the captain, who in turn would inform air traffic control. He asked for $200,000, which is $1.24 million now money, in $20 bills, four parachutes, and a refueling truck ready to fill up the plane when he lands in Seattle. He was very specific with the nomination of bills and even specified that the serial numbers should not be sequential. Shafter gets up to show the pilot the note and Mucklaw takes her place beside him. Captain Scott does what Cooper wants and informs air traffic control of his demands. Air traffic control informs the Seattle police instantaneously who in turn informs the FBI. While discussions are happening with the pilots and the ground crews, the pilots inform the other 35 passengers on board that there is a delay because of a minor mechanical failure. After the encounter, most passengers didn't even know they were being hijacked. During the whole encounter, Cooper was calm, polite, and well-spoken. He seemed to know uh, the local terrain. He recognized certain areas that only be familiar to the locals, like the McCord Air Force Base that they flew over. Then, ooh, McCord. He's just pointing shit out at his way. Yeah. Uh, while Cooper was charming the flight attendants in the back, the president of Northwest Orient, Donald Nyrop, authorizes the payment of the ransom and ordered all employees to fully cooperate with the calm and collected hijacker. As compelling as this like DB Cooper thing is, it's not the only instance of plane jacking, plane hijacking in the United States. Uh, the first skyjacking happened in 1931 when Peruvian rebels threatened the pilot of a Ford tri-motor craft to fly over Lima so they could drop political leaflets. And sky piracy continued and was alive and well in the 1970s. Between 1968 and 1972, there had been more than 130 American planes hijacked. Sky I'm sorry, my favorite, my favorite has to be hijacking a plane so that you could drop leaflets over another country. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I, I'm loving that. The resources required to hijack a plane. I'm, you could have probably just rented one. Not 1931. I bet you could just walk up to the plane drunk as a fuck, say I'm flying it, and they go like, have fun. You know, I don't think yeah. there was too much uh, <laughs> regulation going on. Now, fuck, you need to like coordinate special training. And this is why, because they had so many skyjackings back in the day, 130, but in four years. Skyjacking was so commonplace that maps of the Caribbean were left in most cockpits no matter where they were going. That, was, that was the destination for all the hijackings? Most, most of the people would be going to Cuba. They would be trying to get, because Cuba had the embargo on, so they'd try to get over to go see their family and stuff like that. Gotcha. Uh, which I, I, I just find it funny that they're like, just don't crash the plane. Here's a map, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, most airlines throughout this time adopted a policy of complying with hijackers. So it wasn't like uncommon for this guy to say, Hey, let's comply and give them the $200,000 up in the sky. They ended up circling the airport for two extra hours while authorities below gathered the cash and parachutes. Now the FBI gathered a hundred thousand marked $20 bills from various Seattle banks. And Cooper demanded 
that they weren't marked, but the FBI didn't really mark them. What they did was they made sure they had each serial number start with the letter L. And they also individually photographed every bill with a high, high speed, like record act machine, which is transferred to microfilm before being used as ransom. So that didn't take them very long Holy at all, shit. which I thought that would take long. They just scanned it all. Basically what we would do now, but with like a fucking photos. 1960s scanning. Yeah, exactly. Click, 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 click. It moves fast. I, went, I looked at the machine. It's like they put all the bills here and they just move it fast. Pretty cool. <laughs> Even after all that, the money ended up being the easy part. It was the parachutes that were the hardest to obtain. McCorda Air Base offered some parachutes, but Cooper refused because he wanted civilian shoots with a ripcord. None of these fancy military ones, okay? He gave them another half an hour to obtain the proper parachutes. They finally got the parachute, the four parachutes from Issaquah Skyport, a local skydiving school, and uh, Earl Cossey, which is a master parachute rigger and parachuting instructor that works from his home. I'm like, okay, what, do you just have a plane? Anyways. <laughs> he teaches people by jumping off his roof. Yeah. <laughs> Don't pull it. It's, it's hard to put back in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the four parachutes are actually just like two sets of parachutes. One was like a main parachute and the other was a reserve. Um, the FBI was going to give Cooper dummy parachutes and just to like watch him fall. <laughs> like I guess Incredible. that was their original plan. But then they realized, oh, fuck, maybe he's asking for two because he's going to have like a sky hostage. Right. Mm. So they were like, maybe we shouldn't give him broken ones just so we don't kill a sky hostage. And I love fucking sky hostage. I find that's like Joker level evil. Like, I don't think, come on, man. Which like, I've never heard of anything so dastardly. Someone just be like, strap this on. We're going for a ride. You're my insurance bitch. Like, that's yeah, so dude, crazy. I would, I would love to think he was smart enough to think of that. And that's why he asked for two specifically. Yeah. Cause yeah, he no. had the forced thought to, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. No, he definitely just thought, let me make sure that I strap the money in as well. So I don't lose it all. <laughs> had its own parachute 100% 100% the money had its own parachute yeah the money um, needs its own car too there's there's been a lot of speculation about the two parachute things uh like what you said but also the fbi thought that maybe he thought that they would give him dummy ones so if they didn't ask for two like what you said so they're mm. like maybe he's double double crossing us uh mm. i don't think they thought that they were he's gonna strap it into the money but i mean hey they should have said like give me the money in a mannequin anyways uh <laughs> i'll just strap it on. on a solid gold mannequin yeah exactly <laughs> and a parachute already on him i don't want to put it on him <laughs> with un- made of unmarked limbs <laughs> yeah so by 9 to or sorry by 5 24 two and a half hours after the uh hijacking started or about three hours i guess the fbi informs air traffic control that they've obtained the money and the shoots and were cleared to land the messages relayed to Cooper through the captain and the plane starts to descend. And at 539, the aircraft landed in Seattle. Cooper ordered Captain Scott to taxi the plane to a secluded and well-lit area of the tarmac. Cooper ordered the crew to dim the lights and close all the blinds in the cabin. Here that no vehicle should approach the plane except for the vehicle that was bringing the parachutes and the money and the refueling truck. And whoever's bringing them a cash and shoot should come unaccompanied. Northwest Orient's operations manager, Al Lee, drove close to the Boeing and got out of his vehicle and approached the aircraft in his street clothes. 
uh, to deliver the money in parachutes. He was scared if he was in an, a, a, like his pilot uniform or whatever, his like uniform, he, they would think he was a cop and shoot him. So he just went in jeans. I don't know. I thought gun like blow it up, I guess not shoot him. I shouldn't say shoot him because he didn't, didn't have a gun. Mucklaw was tasked with by Cooper to get the shoots and money over several trips from Lee while he stayed inside the cabin. So he just sent the flight attendant to grab the ship. Once the delivery was complete, all passengers and Schaffner and senior attendant Hancock were allowed to leave the plane. 35 passengers didn't even know they were being hijacked, like I said. The rest of the crew was to stay on board. So that left five of them, including Cooper. The FAA official, uh, sorry, an FAA official contacted Captain Scott and asked if he could get permission to come aboard to speak with D.B. Cooper. He wanted to, he literally wanted to go on the plane to tell Cooper about the consequences of air piracy. Cooper said, no, I'm good. Uh, stay off the plane, fuckface. Like, I get it. The plane is refueled while Cooper outlined the flight plan to the cockpit crew. Cooper was going to Mexico. Or at least that's what he wanted to do. Cooper also demanded that they fly no higher than 10,000 feet at a speed, speed no faster than 150 knots. We're back to fucking knots. <sighs> fucking stupid measurement. Speed. Was the crazy. captain's name uh, Nuts Jizzface McCam? Yeah. <laughs> Scott, I guess getting a Scott's like getting a load to the mouth. I don't know. Cooper also demanded that the rear exit door be open and the staircase extended uh, with the landing gear be down the whole ride. Now, when he put that demand out, Northwest officials were like, no, you cannot take off with the rear door being open. It'll be unsafe and people are going to die. Uh, Cooper was like, no, it's fine. It'll be safe. But he didn't argue. He said, fine, I'll just deploy it midair. But he did argue for a bit. Like, he was like, I know. It'll be fine. Trust me. Cooper also wanted the cabin not to be pressurized on takeoff because he knew people could breathe normally at 10,000 feet. And if he depressurized while he was up in the air, there'd be a surge of air that would suck him out when he opened the exit door. So keep it depressurized motherfuckers captain scott informed cooper that the plane wouldn't be able to make it to mexico on the amount of fuel that a 727 could carry with all these specifications so the the back door being open flying at such a slow speed all that you're never going to make it to mexico man they would have to refuel somewhere and they decided that would be the biggest little city in the world reno nevada it's almost like i just uh, cooper obviously picked this plane because he knew it could fit do all the things that he wanted to do he knew enough about planes right hmm during the refueling, there was issues because of a vapor lock. Um, Cooper noticed the delay right away and accused the authorities of stalling for time. So he knew enough about planes to know, like, probably shouldn't be vapor locking right now unless they're a shitty fucking ground crew. The second refueling truck came in and finished a job just after Cooper laid out his route with the cockpit crew. The flight took off again towards Reno at 746, so a couple hours after landing, but there was a super huge rainstorm going on it took off the fbi tries to pursue them with its f-106 fighters stationed at mccord air base now f-106s are amazing at 150 miles per hour or 1500 miles per hour but they're very shitty at 150 knots now i needed to know how much 150 knots was in real uh, real distance measurement so that's 172 miles per hour for you guys so it's not that much different from miles per hour it's about 120 something Anyways, it's, it's less in kilometers. So it's just fucking go with one of them. Why would we go with knots? Fuck knots. I should have died with the pirates. Hate knots. Anyways, so authorities co-opted some National Guard T-33 planes to pursue the 727s. Much smaller National Guard planes, not the top of the line McCord Air Base shit. 
Mucklaw was the only person to sit in the cabin with Cooper. And at about 8 p.m., she helped the hijacker open the door that led to the stairs to the back of the aircraft. Noise filled the cabin, and she showed Cooper how to open the rear door and lower the staircase, the aft door. Then Cooper, with his suit, loafers, and some dark sunglasses, told Mucklaw to get into the cockpit with the other crew and stay there. The last thing she said to Cooper before entering the cockpit was, will you please, please just take the bomb with you? Some terrified fucking people. That's yeah, I'm, I'm, winning this, I'm winning this entire thing, and I'm just going to jump out of a plane with a bomb. The fuck? Hell no. Was that would bomb? be fucking incredible if he just like did all of this and then exploded in midair. Or he maybe that's what the other parachute was for. Straps oh. it to the bomb, pulls it immediately. That's just floating in the air, and he's good to go. Oh, sick! Yeah. Or there was never a bomb, right? I mean, that oh, would be my. There guess. could be that. There could be that theory. There's nobody really knows. Wait a minute. They don't like know if there was a bomb or not. Exactly. So he jumped with it. I'll tell you in a second. So that's a yes. When she said, "Yeah, it is yes." When spoiler uh, alert, listeners, that's, that's a yes. That's okay. We're almost there. Uh, so the last thing she saw before the cockpit door closed was uh, him trying to affix something to his chest. She figures it was either the money or like an extra parachute or something uh, before he closes the door behind him. Uh, he pulled out a small knife and he started cutting the lines to one of the parachutes. She noticed that. It was like he was trying to fit all the money. What was left, like the money? He was trying to jam it inside one of the extra parachute bags. Yeah, so there was no like peephole or anything between the cockpit and the cabin. So for the next little bit, they have no clue what Cooper was actually up to. For... He's probably jerking off at his own success. Yeah, probably. That's what I would do. So yeah, if you're bored by yourself and with the open back wing of a 727, you're jerking off. That's the first thing you're doing. Hell yeah, dude! Like this is going so well, and when am I ever going to get the chance to to jizz in the sky again? <laughs> He's waiting to come right? before he jumps. All right. Yeah. <laughs> A few minutes later, the stairs are deployed. They see that happening from the ca- uh, from the cockpit. Co-pilot Radizak offered Cooper help over the radio, to which Cooper refused. Now, that's the last communication they ever had with Cooper. A few minutes after that, there was a big change in air pressure and temperature. It was minus seven degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in fucking, it's like 20 or something. It's cold. In the cabin area, indicating that the aft door was open. Now, at around 8.20, the aircraft's tail section sustained a measurable sudden upward motion, uh, enough for the pilot to have had to adjust. This is when they think he jumped off the plane. They didn't go to check and disobey Cooper as he had told them to stay in the cockpit, and he said that he had a bomb. So Captain Scott made note of the spot where the dip took place, 25 miles north of Portland, near the Lewis River. That was, that was just when he came. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he jumped off later. The whole plane dipped. That's how. <laughs> uh, the T-33s show up right after DB already jumped. So they're fucking useless. Uh, and at 10.15, the plane landed in Reno, Nevada. And that's when Captain Scott finally broke the silence over the intercom. Can we come out? To no response. So they opened the cabin and it was empty. All the money, the briefcase bomb, and a sunglass wearing Cooper and one parachute gone. The only thing left was the second set of parachutes, a clip on tie that Cooper took off before he jumped, a tie clip, eight filter tipped rally cigarette butts, which just to, we'll get that out of the way. Now the cigarette butts were, have been lost to history. They got lost at some point. Nobody knows where they went. 
And one of the parachutes left on board was open and abandoned with a pink canopy cut from its suspension lines. The clip from the tie would later reveal that it had DNA evidence. And the tie clip had aluminum shards from some sort of machining work on it. The FBI recovered 66 unidentified fingerprints aboard the airliner. Witnesses were interviewed and there were a series of composite sketches put out. The ground search for Cooper was put off until the next morning due to the inclement weather. Cooper jumped in a rainstorm, that crazy fuck, in a suit and a tie with loafers. All right. I saw reports of the winds being 100 miles per hour winds that night, and it was a thunderstorm, minus seven. This is fuck. That's crazy. Goddamn. This is a reason, this is one of the reasons the FBI doesn't think that this was an expert diver, just someone who was familiar with parachuting, because no expert diver would ever jump like that in that those conditions with that clothing. You would die. I mean, um, hold on, though. Those weren't the only conditions. He'd also just hijacked a fucking plane and, I mean, really didn't sure. have a whole lot of other recourse. There's, <laughs> there's, Yeah, but there's no way for them to know for a fact what he was wearing when he jumped out of that plane, because they don't even know like the bomb, if it really was a bomb. So for all they know, he had actually like clothing ready sure. to go and, and That's swapped true. out. And if, and if he's anything like me, when he was jerking off, he completely disrobed. <laughs> but I mean, well, this, do you, ever, this... you ever, you ever take a shit in a plane and everything's bouncing around and you get turbulence, you're better off just fully getting naked because once the whole mm. thing starts to go, you're you know, right. but you, you just want to be can... able to wipe clean. I, I... <laughs> I want a bidet on a plane would be fun. Anyways, you never know what was in that briefcase. You're right. That could have just been four, eight cylinders of fucking jack squat. Underneath was just his jumpsuit. Who the fuck knows, right? Um, or the flight attendants in on it, and there was never a bomb to begin with, and that was just a change of clothes. That is one of the theories. So, no evidence of the parachute or anything was found in the area where they had thought he may have landed between Battleground, Washington, and Orchards, Washington. Uh, except in 1978, when a hunter in Washington finds a placard verified to be f- from the aft stairs of the plane DB had jumped from. Uh, massive area search, nothing really of interest. They interviewed many people, and they went for the Dan Coopers first, because that was the guy's name that tried to get on. Uh, maybe he was dumb enough to use his own name. Who knows, right? Turns out, no, he wasn't that stupid, but they were interviewing the Dan Coopers. Then they started to move into the D Coopers and they found a guy named DB Cooper, who was like a small time criminal. Uh, I'm sorry, but if I, if I at the time would have known the FBI was this fucking stupid, I probably also would have tried to hijack this plane and been like, oh, they're just going to go after all the guys that I say my first name is. Fuck it. Yeah. 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 Wait, wait till you hear how stupid this is. So they went after a guy named DB Cooper. Like I said, he was a small time criminal and he was eliminated early as a suspect but not before the media caught wind of it. So James Long, a reporter from the journal Portland, heard the police were interviewing a guy named D.B. Cooper. So under pressure from his editors, he rushed the name to the D.B. as being the suspect and not Dan, okay? And that's how the D.B. Cooper thing happened. They, they oh, retracted damn. it later and D.B. just stuck. No one was, everyone was like, we know it's Dan. We saw the retraction, but D.B. sounds cooler. So they just left it as D.B even though it had nothing to do with anything except for the police investigating. Yeah. By the fifth year of the investigation, the FBI had looked into 800 suspects, narrowing it down to a couple dozen on December 8th, 1971, two weeks after the jump, U S attorney general, John N. Mitchell releases the serial numbers from the twenties that the FBI had recorded on microfilm. 
The money was never seen for many years. Most of the money was never seen for a lion's share has never been seen ever, except for in 1980. Eight-year-old Brian Ingram finds $5,800 of decomposing $20 bills by the edge of a Columbia River, of the Columbia River, sorry, eight kilometers, five miles north of Vancouver, Washington. Uh, It would be the only serial numbers they match uh, to the Cooper case ever, which uh, they called it Operation Norjack, which I find fun. So the Operation Norjack case, it's the only money they ever found for the Norjack case how they what they ended up doing with this money is the airline got half of the money and brian got the other half like the kid and they only kept 280 dollars for evidence so they, they didn't just give it all, all to the kid fuck you you know just an eight-year-old give him five grand right piece of shit just fucking airline like i said they found dna on the tie and in the past 20 years dna has been used to exclude subjects rather than point a figure at the real jumper the DNA evidence has never actually convicted anyone. It's never even found anyone that's come close to it. And, and in, see, I want to say a couple of things about the DNA before we get into it, because a lot of these suspects get discounted because of the DNA. But this is 1971 in a plane when they gathered this. Who knows? They, they didn't even know DNA was a thing. Who knows how well they're preserving crime scenes? And who knows who's the evidence? They could have passed it to like 25 different people. Like, look at the tie, look at the tie not realizing they could be swapping fucking DNA on the thing. I don't know right. how well-preserved it was. To me, it yeah. just seems like a cop-out from 1971 DNA to be like, nope, not that person, you know? Well, yeah, because probably, like, all, like, the fucking FBI agents, like, collecting the evidence, like, weren't wearing gloves and were, like, spitting in their hands to slick their hair back. For sure. That's yeah. what I mean. Like, who knows what kind of fucking things were happening with this evidence before they realized, hey, DNA is a thing. Because, anyways, they got fingerprints and stuff off the tie. They made it, the tie made it look like the man was a left handed person because of the way he put it on, took it off, the way the indents were on the tie. But DNA had preserved in the 71. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know how well it was. They, you figure though, they would have like eliminated everyone that would have touched it, but how could you know? You know, I don't know. I, I just, the DNA thing for this case does not, is not a buy or sell for me. It's like right in the middle. It could be, it could not be. I don't fucking know. This is the biggest unsolved plane hijacking in U.S. history and was one, if not the well, biggest ever. Well, hold ever. on. Yep. Hold on. There, there was one about 20 years ago that the, the truth has still yet to come out. So <laughs> I don't know about. <laughs> plane hijacking, I guess. I, I guess. Like, sure. Well, we'll uh, say, we'll say committed, committed by a, a, a white man. Okay, committed by a white man. Well, no, even that's not true. George yeah, you have George no proof. A white man. Yeah. So. Okay, so it's the second largest. I'm gonna go a second. That's the. Are we gonna go? With, that's the private dicks fucking stand. No, we don't even. Okay, but we don't even know that DB Cooper was white. That's true. That's true. Well, they said he was white. The witnesses and people who bought the ticket from and everybody. Yeah, but this could have just could have just been Al Qaeda. Okay, this is where. That's yeah, where, that's. Yeah. That could be the one that Al Qaeda did do, unlike 9-11. There you go. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <I think. laughs> All right. They stopped investigating this one in 2016. The FBI decided to focus their attention on other cases with higher and more urgent priority. So they released all the evidence to the public, to the ether, and let's just put this to bed for everyone. You know what I mean? Fuck. Like, let's just do this. So there are a lot. There's a lot of people. Some of them are really far-fetched. Some of them sound really cool. 
but there's a lot. So you might want pens or a way to record people's names because there's a lot of fucking people up to you guys. I don't really care. I'm going to rip through these. Some of them, like I said, are outrageous. They can be thrown out of the bat right off the bat. But I mean, let's mention them because they were people. So the first one I have here is a guy named Sheridan Peterson is a, is a theory that he is DB Cooper. Now Sheridan Peterson was a Boeing technical editor. And he was also a war veteran. He was a parachute paratrooper. He knew the ins and outs of these planes. He was, like I said, a very experienced skydiver. He was also something called a smoke jumper, which I should have looked up what the fuck a smoke jumper is. I'm assuming it's something to do with fucking uh, diving with not being able to see anywhere. He was said to be experimenting with some sort of homemade bat wings. This guy was reckless in the sky. All right. Everyone Mm. noticed it. Not any sorry. any relation to douchebag extraordinaire Jordan Peterson? I don't think so. Okay, uh, well, yeah, we'll cross no. that theory off. <laughs> yeah. We can always say Jordan Peterson's the murderer or something too. I'm down. He's like a robot. He's a cyborg. Yeah. The the that. numbers don't show that. Yeah, but people aren't numbers, asshole. Anyways, Peterson, he was one of he was about the proper age when the thing happened. So he's about in his 40s, 46, I think he was, and he looked kind of like the composites. Peterson people knew about his skydiving ways and they would ask him about it often in the media. And he often just would be like, maybe it was me. He would tell the media, like, I don't know, maybe it was me. Who knows? Oh yeah. Not him. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Once he was pressed by the FBI though, as soon as he said that the FBI was like, Oh yeah, you're the fucking DB Cooper. Let's talk about it. He proved that he was in Nepal during the hijacking. So eliminating him completely. The only reason he was ever thought to be a suspect is because he was probably one of the only people who could have actually done this. And that's the only reason people pointed fingers at him. There was no evidence towards him at all, except for him going like, maybe. So he could do it probably because he was such a crazy skydiver. Not likely, but he does look like the composites too. That's the other thing. He looks like the picture. He's mentioned in like a lot of articles. I wanted to get him out of the way early because I find him. He's cheese. Get him out of here. Okay, next guy, Ted Mayfield. Now, Ted was a local Oregonian skydiving instructor that many pointed to as the culprit immediately after the Cooper hijacking. So before they refueled and they were back in the sky, someone had already called the FBI and said it was Ted Mayfield. Now, Ted Mayfield was ex special forces and for sure had the skills to skydive out of a plane. He, uh, he had his skydiving school boasted 13 deaths over its tenure. In 1994, he was even convicted of two counts of negligent homicide on the deaths of two students at his diving school. Wait, did you say he bragged about it? I said, or did they think 10 was low? No, I said his skydiving school boasted. That doesn't mean he boasted. That means that's what a skydiving school can brag about. Really, it's kind of me being sarcastic. So yeah, they had 13 fucking deaths over his tenure. Two of them he got put in jail for. He was known to play it fast and loose with the rules. This guy was such a bad egg that there were six different calls to the FBI the same night, <laughs> not just the one. Uh, first problem with Mayfield is that he's physically totally different from Cooper. He was short and he looked, he was in his 20s. He wasn't in his 40s at the time. So probably not him. Uh, and people, when they accuse him of doing it, his daughters were like, no, he's not the guy. She remembers. No, sorry, he's real fucking dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She said that uh, when. It, she was eight years old or whatever. I think it, I shouldn't just say eight years old because I don't remember. She was a kid 
when the, the thing happened in 1971, when the skyjacking happened. And since her dad was such so into skydiving, she went to look and see like, oh, dad, what do you think? And he was home with his family. So it couldn't be him. Authorities also scoured his records. Nothing. Ted was always helpful, according to the FBI agents, when he was looking into the case. They actually went to his place and that's why people thought he was a suspect because the FBI went to him to be like, Hey, do you know anybody that could do this? Cause he had the skydiving school. Right. And plus he was kind of a badass. So when people went there, when he went there, like, sorry, when the FBI went there, he was just helpful. That's what the FBI said. He's not even a suspect at all. Um, I love that the FBI's investigation was okay. Let's go find all of the DBs and let's go find all of the Dan's. And then let's purely based off capability who can do it. Could you imagine if this was like a bank robbery? Who could have robbed this bank? Yeah. And this was the yeah. way that they did it. And it was like, who could have? But no, yeah. who could have? All Chuck right, Norris, boys, we're maybe? lining up everyone that wears blue pants and brown boots. <laughs> Who's got the loafers? Where's your clip on tie, my friend? You who can drive a car? On. They do other things. I'm just kind of getting rid of the fucking trashy ones. There. Gotcha. Who? I'm sorry. And who was this second guy's name again? Thompson? This guy's. This guy's name is Ted Mayfield. He Ted. he actually tried. He actually helped the FBI find the parachutes. Like that's what kind of oh. that's why people were talk- talking to him. It had nothing to do with. Anyways, kind of just a shady character. That's what happens when you have a past. People just automatically think you're a fucking badass. He actually died in 2015 after his vintage plane fell on him and smashed it and killed Incredible. him. Incredible. Yeah, 19. He was 79 years old when he died. So he's done. Damn. Jack Caulfield is the next guy. His name's Jack Caulfield. Bryant Jack Caulfield, a longtime criminal who died in 1975, claimed to his friends and family that he was D.B. Cooper in the years after the jump. Caulfield had gone to jail for auto theft in the late 40s and stayed in there until the early 50s. One of his other cellmates was an ex-Air Force pilot named James Brown. Not that James Brown. Different James Brown. Okay. They became good friends in jail. And after their stints in the clinks, they both went different, down a different path. Brown became an engineer while Jack moved on from his robberies to bigger cons in bigger cities. In 1974, a now 57-year-old Caulfield, so when this hijacking would have happened, he would have been like 54, okay? So in 1974, when he was 57 years old, uh, a similar-aged Brown and Brown's 19-year-old son, Byron, head to Mount Hood, Oregon, so they could search for D.B. Cooper's missing money. This was their idea of a good time. Caulfield wanted Brown's son along so the old guys could have some young blood in their search in the wilderness. This is where Jack confessed to them that he was D.B. Cooper and they were on a mission to find his money. Caulfield claimed that he had landed on Mount Hood, put the money in a big plastic bag and cinched it closed with a rope from the reserve parachute he had cut off while still in the plane. While walking, the wind picked up got him by his uh, parachute and he dropped the money into the forest below and he couldn't find it again. On the trip, Brown claims that Cofelt found remnants of the parachute and then Cofelt burnt it immediately with a magnesium mixture. The three treasure hunters never found the money that weekend they went out, but this doesn't change the fact that Byron wrote a magazine article outlining their adventure. He had researched Cofelt and went back on another occasion in 1977. Byron claimed that Caulfield had a Jeep and supplies hidden near the mountain at a local resort. Caulfield claimed that he had an accomplice who let bales of hay on fire to guide the plane in the proper direction because Mount Hood isn't close to where they think they went. 
but they think that he had accomplice lit a bunch of bales and they went follow those fucking bales once he got to the proper place he jumped out and then his buddy would have picked him up and brought him to safety but womp womp i dropped my money so i can't really get away with it so i guess his accomplice wasn't part of the money part i guess because he asked his other friend to come out and look for it with him byron also claimed that he had he went back to the town and he like brought a picture of Cofelt and went like you remember this guy between 1971 and 74 out here searching and lots of the locals were like yeah he's been out here a lot actually more than not a local but he's out here searching the woods i don't know byron also claims that the five grand that little Brian Ingram found was actually tossed out by Caulfield a little bit before because it didn't fit in the bag that he was trying to jump out of the plane with. All right. That's nice. Yeah. Unfortunately, the FBI cleared Jack Caulfield early on. They said it was just another con artist trying to con some more. Uh, none of the details lined up according to the official record. Uh, anything he told the FBI was already in the media or just plain far-fetched. Why would you need a plastic bag for the money? You had a fucking parachute. You cut the parachute out of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's why you took the rope. So you could like make a bindle. Like you, you didn't, you couldn't just zip it up in something. Like you had to make like a little hobo bindle. Also, I why, know, I'm sorry. Why was he stupid enough to be walking with a parachute still on enough exactly. so that it would blow him backwards? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All of it's horse shit. But this guy was trying to get his friends to find the money. Like, that's where he thought it was. Really, that's my thing. This guy's bullshit, I think. Some of these are more. Like, let's be honest. They're coming to the good ones. All right. Theory. Kenneth Christensen is D.B. Cooper. Christensen worked for Northwest Orient as an airplane mechanic. He was also a veteran paratrooper. So this means that he smoked cigarettes and loved bourbon. It doesn't mean that, but he did apparently smoke a lot and drink bourbon. Also, just because he liked bourbon doesn't mean that's why D.B. Cooper got a bourbon on the plane. Maybe he just, that was the only thing. It's not like they give you like a full bar when you're on a plane. They're like, would you like whiskey or fucking something else? You know what I mean? Like planes don't, hey, maybe. You never, you never been on a plane in 1971, That's baby. what I was going to say. Maybe 1971 plane had a full array of just fucking liquors. A haze of smoke and <laughs> liquor by the gallon. Yeah. The, I didn't really get into this in the episode, but I'll tell you anyway. The the There's a a part about the flight attendants and the flight attendants talk about how like once they turn 35 they were supposed to have to retire like they had to sign a contract you're done Damn. Uh, you're supposed to look good you can't get fat like shit like that to be a flight attendant so yeah you're probably right it was like this weird fucking like <laughs> drunken party up there the girls get me some drinks none of our pay none of our passengers are going to want to sexually harass you you're fired <laughs> yeah exactly you're too old to be sexually harassed get off this plane ken was left-handed just as cooper was they know cooper was a lefty because of the clip on like i said lyle ken's brother claims that ken is without a doubt cooper i tried to figure so out so wait a minute play- wait is the idea with is the idea with the clip on tie that i cannot if i'm a righty i can't use my left hand to clip a tie correct just that's illegal not that you can't, but you would have it habitually without thinking about it. Use your left and use your right. It's like how you use your right hand for most things. But no, he's he's wrong. It's against the law. I'm confused. Yeah. Wait, did they say that they saw it on him? Yeah, it was on him. So did what they find it later or is it just like. No, yeah, it's left on the plane. It was that he took it off when he put on his parachute and stuff. He left that on the plane. But they're reversible. Because the clip, the, it's just a clip and you can put it on whatever side you want. So if they just found it. This doesn't make yeah, it a I, left-hand clip-on. 
I agree with you. It's not a left-handed clip-on, but it's the way the impressions were, like the way you would hold it with your thumb like this. I was thinking about that too. I was like, what if someone put it on for him? That would be reverse. It would be, but it'd be like your imprint would be out. So he put it on himself. So would you instinctively just pick up a clip-on with the hand you're not dominant with and put it on? I don't know. But Maybe I always put it on while I'm brushing my teeth and I use my dominant hand and then... That could be it. Or, or if we go back to, to him jerking off, he would probably be jerking off with his dominant <laughs> hand, his right hand, and then having to put his tie on and off with his left. It's just, yeah, logistically impossible. You no, I, I agree. It doesn't have to be left-handed. And I, 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 I'm with you on this one. I think the FBI makes way too many assumptions and knocks off way too many uh, suspects for stupid things. They even yeah. say at a point, like the FBI says at a point, like, we can't discount these uh, witness testimonies because it's the only thing we really have. And it's like, yeah, you can, because people don't have great memories. Shit gets, especially in like a panic mode, you know, pretend you're one of those like uh, flight attendants. They were probably scared out of their minds They're, They weren't thinking properly. They weren't remembering everything correctly. There's no way, but the FBI goes, we can't discount this shit. So like, I don't know about the FBI on this one. There's a couple theories to go with the FBI later to do. So, okay. So Ken, they think he was left-handed like Cooper was. Okay. Lyle gave his tip that his brother to the, what is called a private eye place, a private detective place, but they're called Sherlock Holmes, private detectives. Like get the fuck out of here. That'd be the last people I would go to for private detective work. I would go to private dicks first. (laughs) (laughs) Say careful, careful tossing that question out there. That's definitely called embezzlement. The PIs did some digging. He also, when he was, he was, he passed on the message to the uh, private investigators. He also passed it on to some Hollywood producers so they could make a movie. Uh, Lyle says that in 1994, after his brother's death, they found an expensive stamp collection, gold coins, along with $200,000 in money in the bank. Lyle also claimed Ken bought his house with cash not long after the hijacking. There was also a woman in 2010 that claims that she, when she was a little girl, she caught her uncle Kenny building a bomb in the shed. She never brought this up in the 40 years though, only in 2010, the same issues that we have with Ted, we have with Ken. Okay. They can't have, they don't have the same description. Like they don't look the same. Really. Ken was balding short and chubby. Uh, Cooper was tall, thin and loads of hair. Ken had a vampire's complexion compared to Cooper. Like Cooper was dark skin. This guy was like a ginger basically. To, to be fair. If I was, if I was hijacking a, a plane, um, I, I would demand that everyone describe me as tall, dark, and handsome as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just like, I don't sure. want any of you fucking people telling the truth about my height. <laughs> That's what else you said on the note. If you tell any yeah. motherfucking one in the media that I was short and fat, I swear to God, I'll kill your parents. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to find you and I'm going to blow you up in your home. Yeah, exactly. After investigating though, they found out that Ken did not buy his house in cash took him 17 years and a mortgage to pay it off that's public record you can go look it up and the two hundred thousand dollars came from ken selling some of his farmland at seventeen thousand dollars an acre also lyle lyle's report of the stamps value was way off he said his brother had like two hundred thousand dollars in stamps uh after appraisal it was like twenty thousand dollars in stamps so also the whole thing with like stamps fluctuating in price and stuff, usually like over time, they just go up. So like if his brother bought these stamps in 1971, it's 1994, they probably would have been like two grand worth of stamps. You know what I mean? So like he, woo, he spent all, he cashed out in stamps. Like anyways, Lyle's kind of a moron. Yeah. sounds like it. Yeah. The FBI took him off the prime suspect list for another reason. Uh, he was too good at skydiving. That's another thing. 
they, they keep saying just people aren't good. People are too good at skydiving. No, thanks. You're off my list. So I, I find that stupid too. You, I feel like if you were trying to steal $200,000, you'd want to jump out of the plane as an expert. Anyway, even if you did look like, fuck, who cares? It's stupid. Listen, your not- capability, your capability has absolutely nothing to do with it. Cause as we know, people are fucking crazy or fucking idiots. Mm-hmm. For sure. Any, you could have never jumped out of a plane. You could have been like, but do I need two parachutes for this shit? Yeah, for and just sure. ask for two really parachutes and be up there and be like, like, yeah. And the fucking ego on somebody. So like, you know what I mean? Like, even if you just had like glancing or cursory knowledge of skydiving, you'd probably be like, yeah, I can do it in a storm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Give me a couple. Give me a couple hours on YouTube. Honestly, I mean, in-flight Wi-Fi nowadays, like easily, I would jump or, out of that plane. How about that dude who uh, who hijacked that fucking plane and was just flying it fine, at, and he never flew a plane before? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, the, the sky hero guy, that, that guy, Kent Chungus did an episode on him on fucking. Uh, oh yeah, listen, that's I don't, I don't one of my wanna, favorite things ever. Yeah, I played a little bit of flight simulator. I feel like if I needed to fly a plane, I could get by. That's literally what that guy said. Yeah, and then he died. Guy, yeah. Yeah, he killed. Himself. He died. He, he killed. He played. He, he did. He yeah, he just dove it. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, but I'm saying, I'm saying, in like a worst case scenario, if it was like for some reason pilots just pass out and it was like, who's gonna step up? I'd be like, all right, fuck it, let's give it a shot, right? <laughs> yeah, but you I mean, would like, have the yeah. ego for that. You would have the ego to be like, I can fly a plane. No, 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 no. no. I don't. No, uh, whoa, I'm not okay. I'm not gonna walk onto the plane while the pilots are still alive and be like, you want me to take over? But if they're if they're both <laughs> right, out, right. if they're out you're cold, you're and gonna, it's like there's no. There's no pilot on the plane. It's like, yeah, fuck it. Okay, I'll step up. He's going to kill the pilots first because he was contractually <laughs> obligated to. And then he's yeah. going to. I honestly, so definitely landing the plane is the hardest part. But my goal would be as long as I can coast it and get us really low until somebody eventually is talking into my ear who's like he's talking me through how to land a plane. That would be my goal. Because if, if I had to land a plane, I, I, I would definitely go down way too fast and probably... Yeah, I forget that guy's name, but yeah, he did exactly what you're talking about. He like talked to the aircraft. He's like, dude, I'm just having a great time up here. You know, but he was just being, he just hijacked a plane to be an asshole, right? He wasn't like, he wanted to commit suicide, but he wanted to have fun at the same time. Yeah. So, but what I'm, my scenario is like, if I'm on a plane and this happens to me, I know your scenario. You said it like, where I get you. I'm just saying he did what you said, minus he just took it for fun. You would have to be in an emergency situation. You wouldn't jump in. I get there's difference there. But I mean, he just literally talked to the bill, like, oh, it's kind of dipping. What do I do? And they're like, oh, do this. You're like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks. And he should fly around like, cool. (laughs) Like, I love him. He's funny too. (laughs) Fly, Sky King. Fly. See, here's the issue it's like, how cocky would I get? Like, let's say I'm taking a flight from Pennsylvania to Vegas. And, I, hold on, and, I can answer outrageously. And the pilots and the <laughs> and the pilots go out, and we're like, you know, 500 miles in. I don't know. We're like right o- right over top of Idaho or some shit, um, in in the mid part of the United States. Um, and they were telling me like, oh, just land here. There's an airport. I'd be like, ah, yeah, it's kind of inconvenient. I'm doing fine. I think I can make it all the way to Vegas. Yep. That's where, yeah. that's where I, I, you know I, I fully believe crash, that's what you would do. Yeah. If you're going to crash, it might as well be in Vegas. Right. It might as well be Vegas at my destination. Vegas. Yeah. Or I'm turning all the way around and going back home. Like if I got to deal with this, I'm going back home. You're going to die either way. So you might as well smash it into Vegas. That's what I think. You kidding with his security clearances? They're not going to take him out. <laughs> what? Do you, 
Okay, I didn't hijack the plane. I didn't hijack it. Even if it's, you it's did, a, it doesn't matter. It's a they, scenario we, where the pilot. It's a scenario get, where the pilots are, are, no, are gone. With you. The number of people you've killed for the U.S. government, you got at least one mulligan. It's, in it's there. zero. <laughs> well, until I'm slowly Officially. killing myself, so it'll be one. Cool. <laughs> All right. The next suspect in this who done it is a guy named Lynn Doyle Cooper. Marla Cooper believes her uncle, Lynn Doyle Cooper, is the famous hijacker. Lynn Doyle Cooper was a Korean war veteran and leather worker. Yeah, I don't know what a leather worker is, but goddamn. Sorry, did we uh, lead with Korean? Yeah, Korean leather worker. We'll just get the uh, war veteran out of there. Korean war veteran leather worker. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I literally thought you were saying it was a Korean man. And I was like, wait, how are we considering this? No, no, he was in the Korean War. That's all. Gotcha. Uh, My bad. Marla was eight. This is where I got the eight, the eight-year-old part mixed up. She was eight in 1971. And remember, sorry, that wasn't to say that a Korean man couldn't pull off the same level of feats. That was just based is on this the some weird backpedaling no one thought of until you just thought of it. Yes, yeah. I just got in my own head about it. It's it felt racist <laughs> after <laughs> okay. the fact. Well, it wasn't I was trying to exonerate I, myself. I thought you were trying to like pin racism on me and I just fluffed no, it off. No, 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 I just made it seem like I didn't think a Korean man could do DB Cooper. <laughs> and I think Koreans are as capable, if not more, than white people at any kind of hijacking. So DB Kwan. Kim Jong Anyways. Kim Jong-un, I want to let you know that you do have the capability to fly a rocket. You can do this. Rocket <laughs> man. We believe in you. I got you, brother. We all believe in you here at Private Dicks. So Marla was eight in 1971 and remembers her uncle's planning something involving, quote, expensive walkie-talkies. And the night of the hijacking, Lynn Doyle and his brother Dewey Max Cooper went out with the expensive walkie-talkies to go turkey hunting. Marla remembers LD, as he was called by his family, coming home bloodied, claiming to have been in a car accident. She also claims she heard LD and Dewey talking about how their money problems were over because they had just hijacked a plane. Marla went public with this story in 2011, 12 years after her uncle had died. Marla also told the FBI that he got the name Dan Cooper from a character in a 1960s comic book based on the same name. A French comic book, if I believe, if I'm correctly, France. He used to have uh, the comics thumbtacked all over his walls of his garage now there's a lot of problems with this theory dna didn't match for one but i mean that like i said earlier i don't really trust the dna thing this theory also entirely depends on the memories of an eight-year-old girl it's just my biggest problem with the whole thing i think wow you're really not big into believing women richard nah children <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i remember i remember when he didn't believe that his his daughter correctly described how large a spider was and then yeah. he came back and he was like oh shit that was huge yeah 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 that's, that's true. true that happened that happened for sure um, so i mean child one richard zero i don't know but i mean like she was 20 years old i don't know man or whatever she's 24 or something like that but maybe maybe she was uh sure maybe but I don't believe it. I think she was in her forties actually, because she was seven, eight in 2011 or in 20. So she would have been 38. I don't know. I think she's just looking for payout, man. The story doesn't make sense to the FBI or anybody else, except for her who remembers a guy going on a Turkey hunt. Like the family says they were on a Turkey hunt. I don't know. 
but she definitely got the headlines for it. Lots of people reported on it and it's all over the internet. So there he is. Now he's a suspect. Lynn Coyle Duke. Lynn Doyle Cooper. All right. Hey, hey. she's awake. Oh Spicy no. Just, she just woke up. We we decided we were gonna let you like sleep that one off with this me too landscape. None of us were touching you. You know, we're not touching the passed out girl. Just let her pass out on the floor. You know, there's a detail that I still don't have from this. The original bag that they gave him with all the money, how big was that? Ooh, that's a good question. And I should have looked that up, but I did not. Because I'm thinking when they say that they thought during one of the theories, they thought that he threw out the five grand. It's like, okay, it's $20 bills. How how much is a stack of five grand? That it's that much that you can't fit it into a bag that they already gave you that it was in. Why would you, why even take it out of the bag? That's what I said. That 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 that's what that whole theory is stupid for, um, because like, why would you take it out? Like he cut open a fucking parachute for what reason? The only reason they could think of is to stuff the money all in the parachute. Maybe just the parachute that the reserve chute just didn't fit all the money perfectly, right? Because nobody can really understand why he cut open the parachute. It was just open, cut out on the thing. So I don't know. Maybe the two hundred thousand dollars just didn't fit. But Maybe he I'm was gonna, naked, I'm not... actually, and he was using the parachute to cover his shame. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I don't think this guy is shame. He jerks off in the back of the planes by himself. I, uh, he was by himself. Shameless. So that's that's. He different. had to clear out the entire plane to finish. That's yeah. True. That's, I have a feeling he was a little shame. That's true. Yeah. All right, Celeste, it's really awkward you walking in on this part right now. So why I'd respectfully I, disagree. Yeah, I don't think it is. I, oh, I, feel I meant like... just awkward. She doesn't know what's going on. Not awkward. I'll talk about jerking off in front of Celeste any day. It doesn't matter. Done that plenty <laughs> of times. Done that plenty of times. Been there. Done that. Extra- you went. From, you went from it was okay to when am I okay? There's never been an okay. Uh, True. Just whatever comes Cheers. out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. So we're just outlining suspects, and I don't know how much you know about this case, there, Celeste. You must know what happened, right? I don't. I actually don't know a ton about it. I know. I really, I like this story. It's cool, but I don't know a lot about it. All I know is that this fucking dude hijacked a plane only to jump out of it and disappear forever. That's yeah. so metal. Now, what do you, I got a question for you. What do you know about like, maybe you don't know much. I, I don't know. Do you think they would have kept evidence really well back in 1971 for DNA purposes now? Like, do you think they would have thought about like obviously they didn't think about dna do you think they would have thought of like don't touch everything and everybody don't touch everything because i don't think that i think they just would have been like look at this tie what do you think johnny and they would just would pass it around the room i don't know uh, a lot of cases now though are being solved with dna evidence from the 70s but i'm talking like murders right i think if yeah. it's not like a murder eh. it's just a little fleck on a fucking yeah. tie i don't that could be anybody right i don't yeah. know man i feel like 1970s like cops that are, that are there yeah like investigating like a robbery they're showing up like spitting tobacco chew on the ground fucking like yeah yeah and let's yeah. not forget this is an airplane to begin with okay even now the cleanliness on airplanes is questionable all right that thing was a disgusting <laughs> cesspool of filth mm-hmm. i'm just wondering like if you, when you think about i mean the dna in this one they lost a cigarette butt so that was just stupid um because that was the one that was probably the key indicator. If you're gonna look at DNA, the, yeah, they the should have clip, known DNA was gonna be invented. I think DNA. Well, I think DNA was discovered prior. I think it just wasn't used in a criminal uh, aspect until like the 80s, right? 84 or something like that. Um, but 
what I don't understand is like they didn't have the cigarettes, which would have been like there's no reason anyone else would have put their mouth on one exactly. of the cigarettes or like exactly. they didn't have that, but they had this tie clip. And I guarantee you that every single person in the FBI was like, oh, let me get let me look at that. Let me I, and they were like, hold, so. hold on though, because I, I have I have met many people that put their mouths on already smoked cigarette butts. All of them are broke ass fucking comedians who were like, ooh, that's a little less than half. And then they smoke that shit from the ground. From a so maybe that's where they plane? all went? No, but that's where they honest, all went. None of your friends that are comedians are getting on planes. It's not happening. So, <laughs> yeah, but I don't think germs were invented dying, in the 70s so. either. Well, the real problem is, is that they let this Sherlock Holmes investigation get involved, and these motherfuckers think they know everything about every brain of cigarettes. So they need to try and smoke them. To see if they can figure out what the brand was. Agreed. They're, Agreed. they're just eating them. I feel like Rick's <laughs> talking from experience. That was a no. That was a Sherlock. That was a that was a Sherlock Holmes reference for anybody yeah, that for earlier. Sherlock yeah. Holmes. Yeah. Okay, so we're going through people right now. William Gossett. William Bill Gossett had a crazy life, but on his deathbed in 2003, he confessed to his kids that he actually was DB Cooper. When he was a kid, his father was a navy was in the navy stationed at Pearl Harbor. And at the age of 16, he watched the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor. He was a member of the Air Force, Marines, and Army, and saw battle in Korea and Vietnam. He was a skilled survivalist and combat parachutist who had hundreds of high-altitude night jumps under his belt. Gossett retired from the military in 1973, less than two years after the famous hijacking, and became a private detective specializing in fraud, cults, and missing persons. He also worked at a public defender's office in Salt Lake City, where he was well-known and respected member. Ogden, Utah, chief of police said Gossett could, quote, eat bullets and call it a meal. So that's how badass this guy was. He's got the chief of police saying he's eating bullets. In 1988, Bill had the most drastic of all of his life changes because he changed a lot. Uh, he changed his name to Wolfgang and he became a Catholic priest. In Salt Lake City, where the Mormons are. Those two things don't <laughs> sound like they should go together. I know, it's awesome. I love that he changed, he changed his name, his to, name to Melvin and became a priest, maybe. <laughs> or Wolfgang yeah. and a heavy metal guitarist. I'm, you know what? Yeah, Wolfgang's... Wolfgang the bullet-eating priest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In 1994, he moved to Newport and did some paralegal work until he retired. So he... Moved out of Salt Lake City. Uh, then he lived out the rest of his days playing the slots at old bars and attending city council meetings to give his two cents about many different issues. Oh, damn. <laughs> Fucking <Yeah>. respect. <laughs> this is the most annoying man in the world. Now, okay. So I hope he... I'm, I, my vote's with him. This I, motherfucker... This motherfucker <laughs> defrauds the government... For $200,000 of his time and then goes and complains to them about probably stupid <laughs> shit like, like people's leaf blowers being too loud. I'm, I'm, not, I'm all on board. The most dedicated troll ever. Love it. <laughs> I'm not getting a phone app from my parking meter. All right. So through the years, he was controversial in different ways as well. He had four failed marriages, five children, and money problems from a gambling addiction. Gossett was... Uh, in Ogden, Utah, around the same time as the skyjacking. Um, Wolfgang had a brother named Dan. That's where the fake hijacker name comes from. Because as kids, 
William Wolfgang, whatever the fuck this guy's name is now, uh, would blame Dan every t- anytime he did anything wrong. So that was the inside joke. Like, Dan did it, not me. Not Wolfgang. Wolfgang would never do it. Dan would do it, though. Yeah. So he also, when he was dying in 2003, like I said, he admitted to his three sons, but he also admitted to a retired Utah judge and a friend in his public defender's office. So he did not just his kids, other people he told us to. One of his sons said that his dad was a chronic gambler. But in 1971, he remembers this for some reason. In 1971, he had wads of cast just before Christmas. Drives me crazy. This, these people like after the fact just coming in being like, no, I remember 1971. I can't even remember 2006. Like, you know what I mean? So it was like, this happened in 2006. I'd be like, I don't fucking know. It was 15 years ago. What do you want from Yeah, me? but that would have yeah. been the best Christmas ever. You'd remember. I, I guess so. If their dad was always chronically like poor and then one year had shit. 1971, I finally got Plinko or whatever the fuck. Yeah, but that's uh, just called, yeah, winning once. I mean, a gambler who doesn't have money all the time and then one year out of 15 does, that's gambling. Yeah, yeah. And, and finding out that he told a bunch more people, I'm, I'm already writing this guy off because I think maybe he was just that annoying that that would be the thing he did <laughs> right before he died. Just like, hey, hey, did I tell you about how I am D.B. Cooper? Please give me attention before I pass from this mortal coil. Yeah, there's... yeah, he does seem to want everybody to pay attention to him, mm-hmm. right? Who goes to city council meetings for any other reason than mm-hmm. to want people to pay attention to you? Absolute sure. attention horse. Yeah. So and to get the leaf blowers he... banned. Yeah, no, not on my lawn. Galen Cook, an attorney from the U.S., and he's considered the nation's leading D.B. Cooper investigator, believes that Wolfgang is D is Cooper. Cook claims that, okay, there's going to be some letters that come up later. I'm not going to mention three here because I don't believe it's him. But Cook claims that the four letters sent to various media outlets right after the hijacking from a supposed D.B. Cooper are linked to Gossett. Um, I don't really know how because I've read past this and I don't get it. It doesn't make sense that it would make that would connect to him just because he said like the, the notes say like one of them's like just leaving Vancouver. Thanks for the hospitality. D.B. Cooper. I was in a rut. That's what one of them says. Like, I was in a rut. Thanks for all the money, guys. Thanks for the hospitality. It just, it doesn't connect to anyone. It just seems like taunting police. Anyways, but he, he believes it. Gossett's kids also believe that it was their father, uh, but he gambled all the money away. Uh, if this were true, at least some of the money would have surfaced over the years, just going back into circulation. They had all the oh, cereal. Oh, yeah, because casinos are always on top of their taxes. It's not on top of your taxes. How do you get your money from your thing into like a bank? Where does it go? Does it just sit in a vault? It's got to make its if way. You're gambling a... it. That's like the number one way to launder money. Okay. What happens with laundered money? Okay. But the, cause I'm saying, cause the casinos getting the money casinos just sit on money all the yeah. time. Casinos, casinos are the number one place to launder money. Yeah. I get it. So they just, just sit, uh, they just have money in a vault somewhere never to be used again. Or they don't eventually Dude, put it back you know in the circulation. People, That's what I'm no, America. no, but uh, here, here's what happens though: casinos will sometimes get money that is counterfeit or illegal or whatever, and they will try and backtrace it. But if it's washed in in the way where they can't figure out who it is, it's just called a loss, and they just get rid of it. That what they're not going to do is make a big deal out of it because they don't want to draw attention to themselves and lose their gambling license. So it would just become a loss. They would. But how, okay. Yes. So this isn't fraudulent money at all. This is real money that the FBI knows the serial codes for. Don't you think yeah. if this went to the casino and I'm, I'm just making some jumps here, maybe I'm wrong, but you would know because the FBI released all these serial numbers. You don't think every casino would be looking for these numbers so they can be the ones to be like, I found the money. This is not a bad thing. No. This is going to hurt them. 
No, How you're, is this going to hurt them? This is going to benefit them. Oh, no, no. It could only hurt them. Dude, the whole thing the about American taxes and stuff is that if 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 you have any anything whatsoever to, to get the IRS's attention, you're fucked. I mean, like my, my last landlord, everything's in cash. He runs a franchised hotel and he, he nine times out of 10 prefers to do cash rooms, even though it's horribly fraudulent. He does all cash because okay. if you're operating cash so, in the U S you're just completely clean. I don't know what it's like in Canada, but when you guys pay for something, like you just go to a pizza shop or I don't know, something else. And you pay with higher than a 20. Do they hit it with a marker? Do they run it under a scanner? Do they check to see if it's real in any way? No. Okay. Well, they do that everywhere in the States because the it's the vendor who collects the money that is liable if it's counterfeit. But you get no reimbursement. So there's no benefit to, to you. Okay. There is a, right. there's a huge benefit. You're not thinking of the benefit. But, but okay. But there's a difference between like a, a fucking Pepsi vendor and a casino that is like, ripping through tons of cash every day like right, the casinos right. don't want fucking anything to do with the irs especially because so many of the, the casinos are american indian run up here in my state and lots of other, other places in america yeah, you know sure. they they don't fuck they don't fuck around with the u.s government so like that's like the best place to go and have that money just disappear to that's why he changed his name to wolfgang because he was <laughs> he was buddy buddy with the indians <laughs> i don't know i feel like <laughs> That's what he changed his name to. He actually did. I know, but that's a German name. How is that? <laughs> because it, it was, it was, it's about the journey. Wolfgang means it's about the journey. And he, it was about uh, Wolf, his journey. It's, it's Wolfgang. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel Wolfgang. <laughs> his, his wolf went, went straight to the casino and lost all of the money he won. It's Wolfgang. Why is Wolfgang? Because he it's made always he Wolfgang. It was an Indian name. I was just yes anding. Yeah. Oh, no, it is. Yeah. I understand it what is you wolf- were doing. Wolfgang is Wolfgang. That's how you pronounce it in German. Is this like Wolfgang. a potato potato kind of situation? No, it's the actual name. I'll I'll trust the world traveler on this. Okay. The vampire has been around for three years. I used years. to I used to speak that. German. <laughs> when he lived in Germany as a vampire. In a castle. <laughs> yeah, 400 years ago. <laughs> the dialects changed ever since Hitler. It's been downhill. Anyway, so they think he gambled it away. Sure. Gossett claimed the reason they never found any evidence is because they were looking in the wrong state. Wolfgang, uh, or Bill, like I said, whatever the fuck's name is, said he parachuted close to his Air Force base because he was still working there and walked back to his landing from his landing spot. This operation took him three days total. He, if you look at the pictures, he kind of looks like the guy. He was the right height, proper training. Even though the FBI, like I said, they don't think he would have been a good parachutist. The FBI thinks that they would be not an expert. I just think that's wrong. He definitely probably would have been an expert. I think Gossett would have been the person to pull it off. Uh, the sketch, like I said, looks like him. Unfortunately, he was eliminated again by the fucking DNA, which I don't believe the DNA could eliminate anybody on this. It bugs me. I don't, there's anyways, maybe it's a random DNA that they got. Like, I don't know how much you could get from a tie. I don't know if they eliminated everyone on scene, but I feel like you shouldn't be eliminating people with DNA from, 25 years ago especially when you get good dna like figuring out how to like use dna later versus just Didn't eliminating he confess them. this like on his deathbed a bunch of people did he's not the first one but yes he definitely did but, so you're telling me that this fucking old ancient dude is on his deathbed all right and he goes oh by the way kids i'm db cooper yeah. not that i have anything to leave you like but and then the fucking <laughs> fbi swoops in and takes his fucking dna and shit I'm like, 
no no way man he just wanted some like last minute fondling from the pretty nurse for sure Hell yeah Sure. Does being DB Cooper give you that? Well, I think I'll, I'll write up somehow. I'll write up my death statement right now. Yeah, that's 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 part of the class to an RN. They, you know, they're like, okay, one oh two, nursing one oh two. If a patient confesses to being DB Cooper, you have to touch their penis. <laughs> it's just in the bylaws of being a nurse. Yeah. yeah. They were so embarrassed they had to hijack a plane to finish. You can you can make them finish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I do uh I do like gosset whatever wolfgang as a person i i find he's one of the most compelling out of all of them i don't like the dna thing that bugs me so that's the end for gosset next guy's name is robert w rackstraw now robert rackstraw started his military career in the national guard and eventually moved into the regular army and achieving the rank of first lieutenant during this time he received paratrooper training and explosives training he was a helicopter pilot in vietnam even though these accolades make him sound like a prim and proper military man, Robert had a dark past. Uh, he was considered a rule breaker by all of his superior officers. He was a con artist and he was a thief. While on base, he often stole his commander's Jeep for joyriding at night. Army Captain Gary Moselle wrote of Bob, quote, nothing was too audacious for Bob. One time while flying, he reported he'd found and machine gunned an elephant disgusting he was that kind of guy so in vietnam he just tore down an elephant for fun Hmm. during the 70s rackstraw gained over 30 criminal titles from check forger to car thief to explosives merchant to violent sociopath bob came to the attention as a perhaps suspect in the hijacking when he was arrested in iran and deported to the u.s to face explosive possession and check forging charges wait what year was this that he was in iran 19 do you do this with everything you think you, you pronounce it like that? Is this no, but well, I'm sorry. What uh-huh. year in the country that you said? 1978. Interesting. Okay. Later in 78, Rackstraw was held for identity theft in Stockton, California, California. Uh, after the interview, the detective submitted his name to the FBI as a possible suspect for DB Cooper, as he had so many details in his life that seemed to fit. Investigators noticed the resemblance between him and Cooper and just put two and two together. Local papers ran this story so they tell the fbi and i guess some of the cops were just talking to the whomever so local papers run the story and three days after its publication the rack uh rackstraw offered up his own jailhouse interview the record the local paper wrote that bob quote identifies with the spirit of db cooper a person he says uh, had challenged the legal system and beat it uh and his next quote he continued in the first person saying that I think I stay, I stand for America, the American people. I really do. So he like went from like, I like this DB Cooper guy. He like sticks it to the government. I stand for the American people. It's like, whoa, you changed tenses there, buddy. Is the spirit spirit of DB Cooper uh, Wolfgang? Is that, is, does it all loop back? Oh, it was like a vision quest thing. Yes. Always cool. was peyote quest. Nice. Peyota. Sorry. I don't know how to pronounce that properly. It's probably peyota. Run, run. What did you say for Iran? How did you say that one again? Iran. 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 How many times have you had to kill Iranis kids? I'm not trying. I'm not trying to correct you. I'm just when <laughs> you say it your way, when I say it, I say it, and you just get offended that I'm saying it differently. It's not that I'm offended. It's just weird. I've never heard anyone say that before. Just, just you. So he was introduced to uh, parachuting by his uncle while he was in his teens. His uncle's name was Ed Cooper. 
So that's where they think he got the Cooper last name from, my uncle Ed. Uh, in 1979, Bob had two jailhouse television interviews. The first reporter asked Bob, do you think it's legit that you could be one of the Cooper suspects? To which Bob replied, oh, yes, if I was an investigator, definitely so. I wouldn't discount myself or a person like myself. I think he's just having fun, this guy, honestly, just fucking with the media. In 2018, a year before his death, a reporter called the uh, called Rackstraw to try and see if he was telling, like, if after all these years he's going to recant or if he's just going to keep saying that he's Cooper. Uh, his response was, there's no denial whatsoever, my dear. So he held on to it. Now, if you look at the composite of Cooper in the 1970 photo of Rackstraw, they look like the closest out of all of them, I think. I think this guy's like the closest looking. Maybe not, though. Uh, Thomas Colbert, Colbert, Colberto, Colbert. I don't know how we're going to say it. I don't know how you're going to say it, Rick, but I'm going to say it like that. Colbert, okay? Thomas Colbert, author of uh, the Cooper investigative book, says that in 2015, a photo of Rackstraw was brought to one of Cooper's witnesses to verify whether it was him or not. Out of the six people in the photo lineup, the witness picked Rackstraw without hesitation. Colbert was so convinced of Rackstraw being Cooper that he put together a team of 40 people to investigate for like a national, uh, sorry, uh, why can't I fucking, uh, anyways, one of the TV channels, the fucking exploration, the Jesus Christ, I didn't write it down because I was like, I'll remember that. I'm an idiot. Okay. They found many circumstantial pieces of evidence. This team of 40. The FBI didn't take uh, much heed in what Colbert was saying because some of the evidence was very fanciful and nothing could be proven. It was just like, I wrote a book. Look, where right, guys? And he's like, okay, where's the evidence? Show me the... And he couldn't. He just wrote a book. Colbert says the FBI didn't take him seriously because of the embarrassment of not being able to catch Bob, not because of the circumstantial evidence being like shitty. Robert Rackstraw was also a suspect due to a series of letters mailed to the FBI and local media outlets shortly after the hijacking. One of them blatantly identifies Rackstraw of the crime. Some of them are just basically taunting police. One of them says, I had, I had to do something with the experience my uncle taught me. So Uncle Cooper, uh, the last two letters had code in them, like World War II codes, like wind talker codes. You know, those fucking like, do you remember that Native American fucking people that would break codes, code breakers from World War II. Wolfgang. You guys remember that? Wolfgang. Oh, God damn it. Um, but yeah, they had to use that like code from World War II and only people with like older military experience would have known this like off to like just write it out on a piece of paper. The code was like 71717 which apparently in wind speaker talk translates to I'm Lieutenant Robert W. Rackstraw. But the FBI cleared Rackstraw as a suspect because he was only 28. He wasn't old enough. He wasn't in his mid 40s. I don't know. There's, I've this FBI is so fucked. Pretty rough looking 28 year olds, especially in the 70s, dude. Yeah, that's especially what I'm ones saying. that have been taught such lessons by their uncles. <laughs> I, saw, I saw your face. <laughs> I like this guy for it, though, okay? Because I feel like he was taught these lessons by his uncle and then he dissociated into a new identity that was D.B. Cooper. Mm, okay db so, cooper is also the one that blew up the elephant with the machine gun mm, celeste has made him a, a victim in this <laughs> you're welcome continue yeah rackstraw honestly i like rackstraw as well i think he's he looks pretty good for uh, like the composites i believe the composites because it was made from like a bunch of people so i feel like he looks kind of like that but i don't believe the height people can't like if you're sitting down most of the time you see them get up like if i'm sitting down and i see someone stand up i'm like 
I don't know, six feet, I guess. Like, you don't know for a fact how tall people are. You'd have to, like, stand beside them. You're in a plane. So the height thing, I don't, I don't and the DNA thing is out the fucking window for me, too, but whatever. I feel like it'd be way easier to tell how tall someone is in a plane, though, because a plane Agreed. is, like, a very finite no. space. Yeah, if you have, like, a reference point. Who, like- who, was, who was the one that was calling it? Was it one, did you say, uh, was the flight attendant? There was a bunch of people that said he was like between like five foot ten to six foot one, like six feet is where I feel like you have have the upper nine. You have the upper reference of the plane. Like how tall were planes back in 1970? Yeah, I know. But when you're sitting there, like I don't I don't do this. Okay, if I'm on a plane or something, I'm like, I wonder how tall that guy is. I'm like, look, reading a magazine, doing shit. I'm not paying attention to how tall they are. If I sat there and like investigated their heights and stuff, maybe I could do that. But I'm not. Unless unless that motherfucker sitting behind you and it's like. Or in front of or you. Or if he's, he's like, hijacking the plane. Nobody knew. <laughs> Nobody knew Celeste. The only very, one that knew. Very good point. The only one that knew was the. I can't get my chair back. <laughs> you broke your chair. Good for you. Fucked yeah, the people are getting off the plane. Celeste didn't even know that they're being hijacked. Someone it was, knew. It, it's only the, the two flight attendants in the cockpit. How so, tall did they say he was? Exactly. I trust them. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm just saying like. I do not trust them for the I, record. I don't trust anyone. Trust, don't even trust yourself. Trust no one. All right. Investigation, we're not here to trust anybody. We're not the fucking FBI, all right? People who are not named Dan, look Okay, out. Well, some of us aren't. <laughs> okay, so he was cleared by the FBI because he wasn't old enough, all right? Although one, the one witness went straight to Ra- uh, Rackstraw as a suspect in the photo lineup, other witnesses say that the resemblance in the composite is only... Uh, it's not real life when they looked at the picture they're like that's not him so it was only one person that went yes uh they say six people did but i mean other people did the same thing and they said no dna didn't match also it was never actually proven that any of these letters were actually written by db cooper they came after the thing and nothing was evidence in there that was not already known to the public so could not even just be him um he might have written a letter but not even been him anyway but anyways so that's Rack shop, rack straw. I like rack straw. I find he's a he's a heavy heavy hitter in this entire thing. All right, next one is Robert Richard Lepsey. This one's just sad. I think uh, Robert Richard Lepsey was a grocery store manager, husband, and father of four in Grayling, Michigan. He disappeared in 1969 on his lunch break, never to be seen again. His car was found abandoned at the airport parking lot with the keys in it. Half pack of cigarettes on the dash. When hija- when the hijacking happened, his four kids were glued to the screen of the television. Once the composites went public, they all thought it looked like their father. Much of the other stuff that looks uh, that links Lepsy to DB is all circumstantial, like wearing uh, the hijacker wearing loafers. They said, my dad's favorite shoes were loafers, and he looks like that picture. It must be my dad. And he had no accent like the thing. So, mm. Yeah, uh, but as someone with an absent father, uh, that's <laughs> kind of the best way to go about it. You, you want to believe that they did some really cool shit and not just uh, crack. <laughs> So RJ, do you, are we adding a new theory that your dad is DB Cooper? Is that what we're doing right now? That would be, that would be fucking sick. But um, my, my father can't even uh, buckle down long enough to stop stealing credit cards. So, and he's not even good at that. So I can't <laughs> honestly believe that a plane hijacking was in the cards for him. Okay. Okay. All right. Is your dad six feet tall? About, about. Yeah. Can we get, can we get a DNA swap? Does he can like loafers? A- does he like loafers? <laughs> I have I haven't had words with the man in over a decade. I don't think a good lead-in would be, hey, can I have some of your spit? 
No, but just I take feel one like of his you, cigarette butts. I, just contribute a little bit of yours to 23 Me, and you should be good. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. they're doing a lot of that these days. All right. Mm. I just think this one's a bunch of sad kids wanting their dad to be D.B. Cooper. That's yeah, why I think this one's kind of sad. I'm vibing. Yeah. Never jumped out of a plane in his life, apparently. Never had any explosives training, nothing. Just bet it's probably him, though. Hmm. Sorry, kids. Your dad just ran away one day. <laughs> That's all. Just tell it I like it takes is, therapy. Richard. Yeah. Uh, this next one is a fun one. I don't even know why they added this guy to the list, but he's here. His name is John List. I don't know if Celeste ever heard of him. He's a true crime guy. Have you ever heard of this guy before? John List? John List, yeah. Anyways, Maybe. John List, he's a family annihilator that killed his wife, mother. Oh, and yeah. I know that guy. No. Yeah. <laughs> November 9th. I mentioned the murder part first. Oh, yeah. Yeah, family yeah. annihilators. They make an impression. They definitely do. From there, from November 9th, 1971. So this is a couple weeks before the hijacking. So from there, he vanished and wasn't caught for his crime until 18 years later in 1989. The reasoning authorities put him in the list of suspects is that he was on the lam and had nothing to lose. That's the only reason. Uh, he does kind of look like the composite, I guess. That's about it, though. Uh, when he murdered his family, he had already taken $200,000 from his mother's bank account. And when he got caught in 89, he admitted to killing his family, but denied being Cooper. So why would you lie about being Cooper and just not lie about killing your entire family? I don't know. I don't think he had anything to lose at that point. Maybe he I just mean, had a really misconstrued sense of morals and he thought D.B. Cooper was the worst of the two. And my wife deserved to die. Those little yeah. kids, fuck, they were annoying. <laughs> I would never do something as horrible as hijack a plane. Yeah. Kill my whole family. Oh yeah. I did that shit. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Other guy. What was the other guy's name? The guy before this guy. uh, This one is uh, Lepsy. Yeah. It was Lepsy. And then this guy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Lepsy's kids. Doesn't seem so bad now. Does it? Yeah, exactly. That's a good joke. <laughs> yeah. At least your dad just left and he didn't just murder you and steal all your money. Even worse. Yeah. Well, there's still time. Yeah. I <laughs> honestly... Maybe I'll come back and kill him. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's still hope, RJ. Yeah. Oh, cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think by 1989, though, it was like 18 years after the whole uh, thing happened that they were just taking swings at this point. They're like, it's got to be John List. Like, I think the FBI was just, it's not on the FBI. He's not the DNA, so. Well, who was who was up for re-election somewhere? That's probably why they were trying to just get the bundled D.B. Cooper win. Cool. Could be. That's usually what happens. Uh, I think this one, I think this is the one that's like my favorite one. Um, his name is Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. Dick. Another dick. I was say, is it because he's another dick? He's a dick. Yeah, dicks. Uh, he was a Vietnam veteran. He served two tours. a lot of names, too. Yeah, they always add, like, every name. So, anyways, he served two tours of duty. Uh, one is a demolition expert, and the other is a Green Beret helicopter pilot. Uh, after the war, he joined the Utah National Guard and was an avid recreational skydiver. He was also a Mormon Sunday school teacher and was a law enforcement student at BYU. He wanted to become... What is with this weird, like, all, like cop and also priest shit that goes on in utah was it fucking Wolfgang also a private dick yeah he's a private detective yeah. priest what yeah, is for going sure. on yeah uh as soon as you hear utah though you automatically think mormon but uh, is this about having friends in high places so that you can diddle children and just like you know mm-hmm. play golf your way out of it, it. <laughs> it <always> <laughs> <is>. <laughs> just golf your way out. i didn't yeah. touch him i'm playing golf 
And that oh. friend in high places, D.B. Cooper, high up on the plane. <laughs> that wasn't 10, a bomb in that bag. It was a child. <laughs> but this guy here, on April 7th, 1972, about six months after the Cooper hijacking, he basically pulled off the same scam as Cooper. He bought a ticket using the name John Johnson to a Boeing 727 with half stairs. Uh, once in the airplane, he passed notes to the stewardesses claiming that they were being hijacked, demanded five hundred thousand dollars this time and four parachutes he had a novelty grenade and an empty pistol he did escape mm. mid-flight with all the money he was captured two days after the hijacking mccoy was hitchhiking the night of the hijacking with his flight suit and a duffel bag he had told the motorist who picked him up uh, how easy it would be to get away with such a heist uh, the motorist told the authorities right after picking up and after finding matching fingerprints and handwriting he was arrested during the time of his arrest, he was flying before like they went to his house to arrest him. He wasn't there. You know what he was doing? He was out in a National Guard helicopter looking for the fucking jumper. Yeah, looking, for, <laughs> looking for himself. He was looking for himself. Awesome. That fucking Spider-Man meme comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you. Yeah. Uh, in his house, the FBI found $499,970 in cash in a duffel bag along with a jumpsuit. He only got away with $30. That pussy. Yeah, two days you could have spent half of that what do you uh, spend it on and they didn't say just 30 dollars was. this is important time. yeah they didn't say that i look trust me i was like it was a dildo it's got to be a dildo um mccoy Weird claimed shit. maybe they maybe he just gave the guy who gave him a ride 30 bucks but okay dildo. let's go dildo. uh mccoy claimed his innocence for the hijacking but was convicted uh for his hijacking that he, they proved that he did it and he got 45 year sentence for that uh, because of yeah 45 years crazy it's pretty long but they were throwing the book at him just because db cooper just happened uh they were like no more of this shit all right because of the similarities to cooper the cooper hijacking he was questioned for this as well mccoy never confirmed or denied that he was in fact cooper the composite definitely looks like him it's, generic white guy is really hard to not look like honestly While coming from a generic white guy i'm sure for sure for sure 100 <laughs> percent while incarcerated in 1974, McCoy and three other inmates escaped Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary by crashing a garbage truck through the gates. Three months later, he was confronted by the FBI agents in his new safe house in Virginia. McCoy fired at the agents who put him down on the spot. According to one article and one article only, I read a bunch about McCoy. The FBI agent that put McCoy down said that she not only put him down that day, but she also put down Cooper. Uh, okay yeah she was super super tough guy tough girl it was a woman uh problems with this during mccoy's uh hijacking he had a big mouth he wouldn't shut the fuck up the entire time like get on the floor to close it like cooper was very well mannered didn't say too many things on the plane cooper apparently came from nowhere and did his job like a pro mccoy was telling everyone that he about how he could do another heist later he's just going to keep doing these it's just not the same personality. He was also very young. He was 29. So he wasn't in the 40s like the FBI wanted. So he was off the list for that. The flight attendants saw the photo of McCoy and said it wasn't him. So the Mucklaw and Schaffner both looked at the and said it wasn't him. Yeah, I sorry. I said he lo- he did look like the sketches, but I'm looking at him again. He doesn't look that much like the sketches. He does, but not super lots. Just a bit, I guess. They found the parachute and a cover- culvert. After his hijacking, he didn't hide it very well. Like you figure if he got away with it once and he'd do the same trick as he did last time, but they found it pretty easy. 
he, I think he's kind of compelling. I'm writing, I wrote here, I think he's kind of compelling as a suspect just because he proved that you could do it right on the same kind of plane, same kind of idea. So he adds to that to me because there's a lot of this with me is like, could somebody even do this without dying? But he's, he proved he could do it. So I don't know. I don't think the weather was as bad that day. And he's probably a pretty smart guy because he did escape prison. Like, there's a lot of like. Oh yeah, he sounds really well. intelligent hitchhiking in the flight suit with the duffel bag. Well, yeah, that's not smart. But I mean, there's you have to have a level of intelligence to break out of prison. I think to be able to like plan that. I don't know. Who gave the them a garbage truck? They went and like hijacked the garbage truck that was in there picking up garbage. So they like planned mm-hmm. it. They knew when the garbage truck was coming. They had a yard time, ran out and grabbed it. People break out of prison all the time. It's staying out. That's what that's where the smart part yeah. comes in. You that's can true. just get out. That's true. William J. Smith is the next guy. William J. Smith was a man brought up as a suspect in 2018 after an anonymous FBI data analyst looked over the case because they say Will Smith. We're saying Will Smith is, Will Smith. Uh, is Will, a suspect. William J. Smith from Philadelphia, born and raised. <laughs> Played on the playground most of his days. Okay. He was uh, chewing out Max, relaxing all cool, playing with his parachute outside of the school. A couple of guys, they're up to no good. Gave him a satchel of money and he had to leave his neighborhood. I can't. Right, you've sh- you you've shown your, you've shown your <laughs> culture. You've shown your culture. We get it. No, you finished. Sorry, this. Iran. He was in Iran. Iran. No. So William J. Smith was brought up in 2018 after a data analyst from the FBI, anonymous, by the way. Nobody wants to say their name who did this. It's anonymous. After they released all the the evidence, this data analyst was like, I got this. So this research was handed to the FBI, claiming there was too many connections to simply be a coincidence. So William was an experienced combat air crewman during World War II and would know how to use parachutes. Not an expert like the FBI profile. So they were happy about that. He would have just known how to use one. He wasn't an expert. That's good. So during World War II, he had a friend named Ira Daniel Cooper who had died. So they think that he used his, his dead friend's name to buy the ticket. Like he used that guy's name. Uh, after his discharge, he worked for the railroad, which ended with him losing his job in 1970 because rail travel was becoming less and less normal with air flight taking over as the best way to travel. This gave the analyst a motive, revenge against the airlines for taking my jab. The railway job would have given him a good escape knowing where the trains would be so he could get on one uh, after the skydiving and escape he lived in new jersey at the time and if he could escape far enough away investigators would have a hard time finding him or even putting him on the suspect list and uh, he would get to be out in new jersey that's true yeah. that's true the <laughs> most <laughs> important part <laughs> the very most important part on the Good tie Lord. clip like i said there was aluminum shards found spiral shards these could come from some sort of locomotive maintenance facility Smith had some uh, the same description as the hijacker, size, weight, skin, and hair color. Smith was always considered a gentleman, just like Cooper had been during the flight, around the same age as Cooper. The main thing that perked the ears of the analyst was the book, D.B. Cooper, What Really Happened, by Max Gunther. In the book, Gunther says that he was contacted in 1972 by a man named Dan LeClaire, who claimed to be Cooper. LeClaire soon cut off communication, uh, and Gunther disappointedly moved on. A few years later, a woman named Clara got in contact with Gunther, claiming to be the widow of Dan LeClaire. Gunther's book is just about how Clara and Cooper and their miraculous escape. 
it's very far-fetched and some parts are obviously not true like where cooper and clara meet up in the small town nearby uh, after the heist and then have a romantic evening together i don't think that's what they were thinking about i think they were thinking let's get the fuck out of here if this is real um his research brought him to another world war ii veteran named dan claire dan claire just happened to work with our buddy smith dan didn't have the same physical attributes as cooper but like i said william did the analyst believes it was actually smith who called gunther and used his friend's name just like he'd done with ira daniel cooper his friend from world war ii without the analyst giving the name and gunther having such a bad reputation i think this story is shit because that book is considered like trash and 100% zero not true if the data analyst would come forward and be like this is why i just i don't like the anatomy of it because it doesn't add credibility it just takes away in my opinion you're not this isn't deep throw buddy like if you want to come out and say something come tell us don't be a bitch we're for it the can FBI. be deep throat if you want it to be deep throat. yeah i guess so. <laughs> it just it bugs me so i don't know about that guy but they just want it to be true okay walter recca walter r recca Recca was a veteran with a vast history of parachuting. He was an original member of the Michigan parachute team. In 2008, years before his death in 2014, he confessed to being Cooper over a recorded phone call to his friend Carl Lauren, who was writing a book. Never forget about books. They're always writing books. Oh, I feel like profits might be involved in this. Uh, Recca gave permission to Lauren to reveal his crime after his death in a notarized letter. Recca also helped Lauren record the phone call. Uh, so it wasn't some sort of like gotcha journalism. They like planned to do this. Lauren had known about Rekka being DD for over 14 years at this point. They just wanted to put it on record. So they recorded about three and a half hours with audio and it has been confirmed to be Rekka. In the confession, Rekka claims that he was an operative working for the U.S. government. He said he landed on a dead tree near Clee Ellum, Washington and headed towards a coffee shop nearby. Once at the coffee shop, he encountered a dump, dump truck driver. This is a, called the cowboy uh, encounter because the guy was dressed like a cowboy playing guitar beside his dump truck. And he helped. He went up there and he's like, where am I? How do I get out of here? He kind of told him where he was exactly and where to go to get back on the main highway. He uh, Rekka then went over to a payphone and called a friend. The friend came and picked him up and drove him off. Now, even, even though Clee Ellum is about 150 miles, 240 kilometers away from where the FBI claims the landing zone should have been, Rekka chalks it up to the government covering up what really happened to get him off scot-free. At the press conference to promote the new suspect and promote the book, D.B. Cooper and me, a criminal, sp- a criminal, a spy, my best friend. Lauren brought up, <laughs> isn't it awesome? Lauren brought up multiple passports. So he had a bunch of like fake passports with Rekka's face on it. And he had some long johns that he said, these were worn during the skyjacking guys. Trust me on that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So uh, yeah, I'm sure this guy sold some fucking books. Uh, None of it really sounds all that real. It's like, it's hard to like, it's easy to get a jump on a parachute and like go off course, I guess, but 150 miles or 240 kilometers. I think that's wrong. Sure. And to land right by a coffee shop. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I think the confessions sound cool or maybe just help family members out to get proceeds of this book. I don't know. I don't know what the fucking point of that is in 2018. Cool. I guess you're cool. You're D.B. Cooper. Everyone would high five. Like, I think if we've even found out who D.B. Cooper actually was, I don't think anyone would give a shit. They'd be like, cool. And that'd be the end. Of oh, it. don't you know? worry. We found out and people are going to give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
You're right. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow this case wide open. I, I'm excited. <laughs> I can't wait. He got real close to his microphone to say that. He so did. True. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. That's how I feel like it. it's one of those things where the whole allure is the mystery. Like if they knew immediately, like back in 1971, no one would have ever heard about this. Oh, of course. That's what I said. There was over 140 skyjackings. The only one we hear about ever is this yeah. one because of the mystery mm-hmm. and the fun. Right? No, no, no. That's not true. It was this one and also the fucking Sky King. Yeah, we were talking about Sky King earlier and oh, 9-11. Yeah, 9-11 was the biggest one, of course. Just yeah. to give you... Which one's that? Just... <laughs> that... That's the one where the whole world looked uh, at, well, not the whole, the World Trade Center looked a lot like your background. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is there a movie? It's, I haven't read there, the there, There is a movie. Uh, may, maybe maybe one more than that. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. White House Down. I love Gerard Butler. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's in a new one uh, just called uh, 9-11, Watch Me. Okay, that's easy to find. I'll put it on my wish list and forget about it for three years. Yep, he plays George W. Bush in it. Oh, oh he's, he's, he's in he's in no makeup whatsoever. It's just it's just Gerard Butler. That actually would be pretty close. I, and, I'm going with I'm going with Rick on that. That Gerard Butler as George W. Bush in 9/11. Watch, yeah, it's a movie I would watch. I would. Yeah. If someone if that. someone can make that happen, I would 100. <laughs> yep. It opens up with Gerard Butler just reading a story to a bunch of eight-year-old kids, and then, boom! I, yeah. I, I'm all in on that. Film. Alternate uh, history, yeah, alternate history movie where he actually gets up and fucking gets in a plane himself, goes to figure out what's going on, shoots down the second. Plane. Can, can you oh, imagine yeah. George Bush, the fucking action hero? <laughs> oh yeah. I think we're all you know, imagining the fucking it. Takens, the terrorists, like right yeah. in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> so good just full thick fucking scottish accent directly from story time with children to f-16 fighter jet just right <laughs> behind the plane i would watch the shit out of that honestly yeah, okay so i'm I just saying it. future presidents should be the ones that immediately go into attack mode they should be like our last resort i would love that yeah i'm cool with that i feel like they sh- once you're ex-president you're the first person to go in hey tomorrow's election day i'm i'm that's how i'm steering my local representatives Cool. That's a good idea. And he was eliminated after his fingerprints were never found on the 66 unidentified fingerprints they found at the crime scene and the fact that he landed so far away from the jump site. They also denied that he was a spy or anything like that. Dwayne Weber. Uh, Dwayne Weber was another World War II vet who claimed to be D.B. Cooper on his deathbed in 1995. After his discharge, he worked in insurance sales where he was described as a slick looking and smooth talking man. He told his wife, Joe Weber, that he was Dan Cooper just before he died. He like, come close. I've got something to tell you. I am Dan Cooper. And he died. This is 95. The internet wasn't widespread like it is now. She had no fucking clue what he was even talking about. And she went to the library to go look up what the fuck a Dan Cooper was. And she saw, she borrowed Max Gunther's book from the library, the I forget what it was called. And there were notations written in the margins with her husband's handwriting saying is like, this isn't right. I did it this way. Stuff like that. She then recalled that Dwayne once had once I looked this up once had a nightmare during which she talked in his sleep about jumping out of a plane, leaving his fingerprints on the aft stairs. Dwayne also had an old knee injury. He would tell his wife was from jumping out of a plane. Dwayne was a chain smoker and loved to drink bourbon. 
Dwayne also had an old Northwest Airlines ticket for no reason. Joe also said that Dwayne took her uh, to a place called uh, the Tina Bar along the Columbia River. The Tina Bar is like a sandbar that runs along the Columbia River, close to where the money was found by eight-year-old Brian Ingram. Four months later, after they went there, is when the boy actually found the money. Joe said that he had walked up to that part of the river by himself during this trip. Uh, he looked as uh, like the composites along with uh, the other witness accounts, like a witnesses. He looks like the guy uh, age is proper on this one. Joe also found a bunch of fake IDs in some of Dwayne's stuff. Um, he was actually later disqualified by the FBI again, because he didn't have the right DNA or fingerprints. So I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that kind of looks like this. Like all those fake IDs is pretty crazy, but I'm going to say he's probably not the guy. So, okay. But imagine your husband dies and you get up and go to the library. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've, yeah. Yeah. I, I breezed over that quickly. It wasn't like the day after she just, no, it just like literally let after. go of his hand, got on the bus. <laughs> Who is Dan Cooper? <laughs> I went to the library. <laughs> well, I mean, so like a bare minimum of one of these guys that deathbed confesses, you know, I mean, they can't even if one was real, they can't all be real. So who hates their fucking family members so much that they just tell the most elaborate? That's your last words to the people you're supposed to love the most. <laughs> like, well, how guess- much do you hate your bitch wife? I was never me ruin your life with this. That's a really good measure of love though. Like if your significant other dies and they don't say I'm DB Cooper, they probably gave a shit about you. That's true. That's true. Yeah. If you just don't have some elaborate fucking yeah. bullshit, I, I'm going to do that on my deathbed. I'm going to be like, I, I am. I, I was Gerard Butler. I did nine 11. <laughs> That's yes. Right. Thank you. The next one's the next one's a shocker, guys. The next one is a lady named Barbara Dayton. That's right. DB Cooper may have been a woman. However, that's a Barbara- theory in like everything. It may have been a woman. Well, yeah. Uh, swaps. It was a witch. However, Barbara Dayton was born in 1926 as Bobby Dayton. She grew up in Long Island, California. Or Long Beach, sorry, Long Beach, California. And even as a child, Barbara had always had an easier time identifying as female. Little Bobby, before she was Barbara, would sneak looks at her mother's undergarments and buzz around her room like Tinkerbell. And 18-year-old Bobby Dayton tried to join the Air Force to, to satisfy her love for flying. Due to an eye condition, she couldn't and was forced to join the Merchant Marines. Was the condition that she didn't have eyes? No, they, she had eyes, just not good ones, bad ones. Weird jump. <laughs> Due uh, to a, a, a minor eye condition of the not having any. <laughs> she traveled the world uh, and back on cargo ships and even got some cross-dressing while the crew was asleep. Once she left the service, Dayton had many jobs. She was a fisher person, labor person, machine worker person. He, she even had experience with dynamite because she had helped her father blasting out some rocks on his property. In the Merchant Marines, she had learned how to parachute. She finally got a steady job in a garage in the late 1950s. 
This afforded her to get frequent flying lessons. She even got a private license in 1959. Her goal was to attain a commercial license because that would provide her with a steady income doing what she loved, which was flying. But she can't. She has no eyes. Got bad eyes. Money was tight during these times. Yeah, none. She's got the worst kind of eyes. Yeah. Sockets. She's mm-hmm. just got sockets. That's that's how I have it written down here. Uh, Socket Barbara lady. Dayton, eyeless Socket. trans woman. <laughs> uh, money was tight during these times. Uh, she wrote the commercial license exam on two separate occasions, but failed the math part uh, on both time, both tests. Bobby considered the math part unimportant and was very upset about this. In December 1969, Bobby pleaded with the Seattle University Hospital for gender reassignment surgery, and after being rejected at other places, they agreed. This is when Bobby became Barbara. After a second surgery, Barb convalesced in Renton, which is near Seattle. Eight days before the skyjacking, while at the hospital for a checkup, hospital staff noticed that Barb was lonely and depressed, complaining money was low and work was scarce. Ever since transitioning, Barbara had been feeling better in her body, but she was having a hard time finding a job and felt isolated from her friends and family. However, at another hospital appointment two weeks after the hijacking, Barb's depression had subsided, even though her welfare was to run out in three weeks. So her money problems were even worse. In 1977, Barb was working as a librarian at the University of Washington on weekdays and on weekends, tuning up her single-engine Cessna 140. Pat and Ron Foreman first met Barb at Thun Airfield when the couple were looking at purchasing their own Cessna in 1978. From there on in, the Foremans and Barbara were lifelong friends. The Foremans claim in their book, The Legend of D.B. Cooper, Death by Natural Causes, that Barb dressed like, up like a man, hijacked the plane, and it successfully parachuted off. Reports say that Barbara planned, a heist, uh, planned the heist to go to get back at the airlines, not for money. So they just she just wanted to stick it to the man who wouldn't give her a pilot's license. She never spent the money because this was about revenge. This is what she told the foremans anyway. Uh, she also recanted her entire life story when she found out she could still be prosecuted for the crime. So she, later in life, she was like, yeah, I never said that. What are you talking about? Because. Yeah, you could still get charged for that douchebag. Barb died in 2002. Yeah, psych. Uh, Barb died in 2002 from pulmonary disease. This one just seems far-fetched to me. It feels feels like a gender swap uh, plot twist. Maybe not, though. I don't know. She used to get mad. Like, Barb used to get mad if people would talk about D.B. Cooper. And she'd be like, that's wrong. And then she'd, like, storm out her rooms. So that was another thing they, like... Well, she was obsessed with, like, air in general, all right? So, I mean... Okay, so what was this eye condition she had? Just, you can't be uh, in certain things. She just didn't have 20-20 vision. She probably had to wear glasses. Like, it wasn't, they just said oh, an eye it? condition. Yeah. It's not- yeah, my, my eyes are so bad. I, I get denied a lot of things. <laughs> I, uh, I'm colorblind, too. And that, that has a, that, that's a problem if you're trying to be a pilot. So. It is. And, yeah. and he's got eyes. You know, I know things that she would have been denied not having eyes. Right. And she's she was, shitty she at math, colorblind. which is like even worse. I mean, you yeah. can pick what either you have eyes or you're good at math. You don't you don't have either. Fuck, but mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. the FBI trashed her as a witness to or as a suspect to uh, just because of the typical things that she wasn't tall enough. She was only five foot eight. 
uh, she, the DNA Ooh. didn't match like all the th- same things they've been denying people being the person. Yeah, all the same no, shit. but in this case, it's misogynistic and transphobic. Keep his standing up. Yeah, is it ableist yet? <laughs> have, have we made it ableist yet? Anyway, well, yeah, she didn't have eyes, so yeah. So those are all the those are all the suspects, but there is a couple other theories that I'm going to rip through real quickly. One of them being that Tina Mucklaw knows something. Now she was one of the flight attendants. And I say that all the fucking time. Tina Mucklaw knows something. She knows something about what happened. That's right. Whether That's she what was you're involved known for. Or not. There's t-shirts about it and everything. But yeah, over the years, Tina Mucklaw has been accused of knowing a little bit more than what she admits to. And there's reasons. So she was the one who spent the most time with Cooper as the flight attendant. So she had the most conversations with him. When he was negotiating his route, he was doing it from the cabin to the cockpit through her. So he would tell her, she would go over the phone, tell them, and back and forth. And she, after the whole thing, she did cooperate with the FBI, but she never did any interviews. This just made her suspicious from the media standpoint of like, what are you trying to hide, right? Which probably is nothing, but it may, it adds to the whole thing. Okay, she ended up later on in life leaving being a flight attendant because i was telling you guys about how flight attendants back then had to retire because she turned 22 yeah Yeah. when they turned 35 they had to sign a contract less saying like they would retire then because they weren't good looking enough if they gained too much weight they would get fired they were basically just eye candy like and she literally she's like that was just the culture back then she wasn't mad about it or anything but she got too old she aged out of flight attendants so she what she did was she went into the nunnery she became a nun and this what the yeah, so many people well, go into religious stuff. Yeah, you're you're allowed to be ugly as a nun. Yeah, but once you're <laughs> part of a crime, you have to find Jesus. So yeah, yeah. So she she went into the nunnery, and then that fueled more speculation because not only was she not given any interviews, but B, she would like try and run away from the public view completely. Well, she thought she was hideous. She was thirty five. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I oh, God, it's either I put a bullet in my brain or I put a habit on. Yeah. Some people say uh, some of the conspiracy theorists I was reading on the internet for saying that it wasn't really that she joined the nunnery. She just went into witness protection. I don't know if she was involved or anything like that, but it does seem weird that he got two parachutes. She was the only one talking to him. I do believe what you were saying, Rick, is that he changed. I think what was in that briefcase, he changed into something. I don't think he was wearing a suit and tie and loafers when he jumped out of a plane to survive if he did survive. So Mucklaw knows something. I think, I don't know. There's that's part of the speculation on the internet. She said she, she actually did an interview in 2017, I believe it was uh, recently enough. And she just gave a lot, actually she, her article gave a lot of detail for this, for the actual hijacking itself, because there was a lot of unknowns before. And uh, yeah, I don't think she just said she wanted to get out of her life and change. Like, she never was in witness protection or anything like that. She just wanted to change. But that's what you would say, right? If you got $200,000 and hit it in a nunnery. Yeah. So she might not know something she might, but she's suspicious. Let's give her that. The last thing, the last theory on this entire thing is that, um, which this is what the FBI's theory is, which is that. D.B. Cooper did not survive the jump. Dead. Um, the, that is the like, definition of a literal fucking cop out. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, man. I we Gabby Petito happened and he was not among the bodies found. So bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Too soon. Uh, not soon enough. Never soon enough. Fuck that laundry piece of shit. Hopefully well, he's eaten by a gator. Oh, my God. I just want to say said, fuck that blonde piece of shit. And I thought you were talking about the girl. 
<laughs> it just, I was like, damn. Little too soon for that one. The only thing that I want to say to you, Richard, is that that's not the only theory. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. God, that's disgusting. What is that? A 35 year old woman? This is well, okay. So you weren't too far off with Barbara when you said transgender <laughs> woman. All right. So this is DB Cooper's sketch. And who does DB Cooper look like? None other than Amelia Earhart. <laughs> <laughs> I was the last you time that theory. The last time that we had to deal uh. with the transgender <laughs> possibility. Yeah. But wait, there's more. Oh. I am too excited because we dove in <laughs> to the Japanese attacking Pearl Harbor. When we talked about Wolf gone, <laughs> as we know, Amelia Earhart survived and she did not stay in Japan. She snuck back into the United States as Wolf gone. So there's my theory is Amelia what? Earhart hijacked the plane. She as the FBI knows, only somebody capable could have done it. She is capable. That, you're the one flaw in your theory. I'm 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 seeing eyes right now. <laughs> I was gonna say the one flaw in this theory is that she she could it's, fly planes, but her experience with you know getting out of planes is not so good. Speaking of the eyes, they all had brown eyes. So coincidence, oh, I Oh, no the most that, common eye color in the world. Oh my god. Wait, no, that that's the, no. She also would have been like no, is, yeah. 60. Is that yeah. the real sketch of D.B. Cooper? Yes, it is. Yeah, because that one is of them. fucking like terrifying. But how close was that? How close is that to Amelia Earhart? I'm sorry, but come on. Oh, I, I don't care how close it was. That was fucking beautiful. And that's what we're going with. It was the <laughs> it was the landing that you killed, which she did not. But that fucking scary. Yeah, we all we all know that I could successfully land a plane if I needed to. Okay, thank you. That's Mike right. We, we discussed that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> that I I don't think I've I, th I thought like they had like sunglasses in the sketch or something. There is. There, they some, had two different sketches. There's there's yeah. four or five different sketches. Actually, oh my god! Yeah. I think I've only seen the sunglasses one without it. That ugh, that yeah. was so gross. He looks kind of like a lizard man. For real, like almost like literally like. Like they put like makeup on like a drawing of an alien. Like there's this like that that big fucking head shape and shit. Oh, it yeah. looks like that guy from the mummy. Yes. The, Who the mummy? Yes. The mummy. No, yes. the, the brother-in-law, <laughs> the the one, the annoying one. When you know. when I was so nervous, I was I was rushing through to create that video. When Richard finally said for the 14th time that there were three left, I was like, oh, I still have time. And that's and that's what's so fucking amazing. As soon as it started fading, I was like, he just made and edited this video. For this. <laughs> you win. You fucking win. That I just want to uh, say one more thing before we uh, I, I think that's the solve. Okay? Oh. That's 100 percent the solve. Celeste, are you uh, satisfied with that? I just want to mention for the for the listeners that uh, there is another theory that Forrest Fenn is D.B. Cooper. And I'm not getting into Forrest Fenn. I did a full episode of on Unethical. So go check that out. Give them a reason to want to listen to it. <laughs> well, fuck you. No, go listen to it. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you're going to come. You're going to go. Why we only have 28 pages. That's not what I mean. I don't mean I don't give. I don't mean I'm not going to go over Forrest Fenn again. God damn it! We just finished figuring it out. You know what I mean? That was also Amelia Earhart. Oh yeah, that was also Amelia Earhart, who is also for some reason Don Lewis because he flew planes too. Correct. Uh, yes. Yeah. 
Don Lewis's. There's been uh, a lot of remembering this stuff. on this show. Now that I'm thinking, about it's not that. about the show. Yeah. It's about the world. We're coming after the important crimes. Sure. Exactly. See, Rick Scott actually got a really good point there. Like the uh, crackhead and the butt pirate. That was a that was an important topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like referring to the two of them like that. Can we please? <laughs> <laughs> it's crack baby not crack cat right actually yeah it's okay. i love that you woman. made that video when i wrote down like every name and was actually the minute the time. minute that he said the minute that he said wolfgang saw the japanese uh bomb pearl harbor i was like amelia hart <laughs> <laughs> Well, you blew this wide open. Uh, and Celeste, I think, like, I know you came here to supervise. Uh, make sure we're doing a good job over here. Hopefully that's to your satisfaction. Um, we'll send you a bill. We're flush right now, so we don't really need the cash. You're going to do mean? what? Send you a bill. What? Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me? RJ is going to write up a bill. Mm. Is he? Yeah, your favorite. RJ, are you going to do that? N- uh, no, ma'am. What do you mean? That's... What do you... All right. That's okay, what I sorry. thought. Abigail is going to write you up a bill. Abigail! Ooh, yeah, about Abigail. What about her? She's not listening right now. Yeah, I know she's not. Why? Why do you know she's not? What does he mean? Yeah. Abigail! She was supposed to be the, the go-between between you and I. She just yeah, yeah, she's been up. going between, but not you and I. What does that mean? She's. I walk in here. I'm looking for you guys. She's taking personal calls. Okay personal calls while i'm standing there interrupting me and you know what i'm pretty sure she drugged me she's our fucking slave how does she even have a phone is she taking on our business call like our business line uh yeah let me let me let me play it out for you hello private dicks uh yeah juan i would love to like rub your feet and stuff that's pretty much what it was like oh my god this chick is a problem i i, I knew it there's some weird people that have been coming in here i knew something fucked up was happening watch private dicks and i think rj's the funniest what come on hey there all you private dickheads that's probably not the name we're gonna stick with anyways uh, rj here i am here to tell you thank you for listening to another episode of private dicks if you liked what you heard go on apple podcasts spotify anywhere they take your reviews drop us five stars say something nice also what you just heard was from last season If you want current episodes as they're dropped, head on over to patreon.com and search up Unethical Podcast. That's our mother podcast. I was not aware Private Dicks was a spinoff. I'm going to renegotiate my contract. On Patreon is a full 16-episode season more of Private Dicks, uncut videos of each episode, and many more things are getting added all the time. You can also find all of Unethical's content on there, so go listen to that. And... If you're already a patron, fuck yeah, dude. You're the best.